like scary movies? Uh-huh. I'm getting ready to watch a video. You making popcorn? Uh-huh. What, what, what's your favorite? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. Talk to me. Talk, talk to me. Hi, everyone. I'm George, and welcome to the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is a very exciting one. He's a writer, a comedian, and one of the whitest kids you know. Please welcome Timmy Williams. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so stoked. Yes. Hey, you and me both, brother. Good. Very excited not only to be talking with you, but to be talking specifically about this movie, which I am a big, big fan of. Yeah. But before we get into it, why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with horror? I didn't watch horror much as a kid. Maybe, let's see, when I was 12 or so, uh, me and my friend Casey went to my friend Drew's house and slept over. Drew lived out in the country on a farm, so he had a, a dish. You know, not just like Dish Network, a fucking dish that got all sorts of weird stuff, (laughs) like a satellite dish. This is uh, audio, so you can't see my arms, audience. Anyways, it's a big old dish. And so he got all these weird channels. And so I remember seeing what I didn't even know at the time was part of Jason Sick, Friday the 13th, Six, Jason Lives. And it was uh, maybe one of the best parts of that movie when he takes out the uh, RV. Oh, hell yeah. And I just remember my friend Drew going like, yes, like when it's when it's on its side and he climbs out, my friend Drew goes like, yes. And I was like, this is pretty cool. But then I just never, I don't know. And it's not that I even was scared of it. I just kind of didn't, wasn't into it. The things that did scare me as a kid were like, which a, a mode of art that doesn't really exist anymore is made for TV movies mm. about real stuff. Like there is one. I don't even know what the story is. Kind of hazy on it. Basically, it was based on a true story. This guy got into some sort of crazy religion, government ideas, and he and his girlfriend or something kidnapped his nephews. And then they ended up having a standout with the cops and blowing up the car and the kids died. You know, and so I remember being very scared about that. Or like when Oklahoma City bombing happened, I like left school. You know what I mean? Like, I just couldn't deal. So, I mean, and that's a totally different thing. That's not a movie. That's obviously real life horror. And I'm sure everybody was like that. But so I I never really uh, did the horror much. And then years and years later, you know, I was in New York making the TV show with the whitest kids and have been through since then 9-11 and, you know, just all sorts of craziness in New York. And then I got married to the wrong person and went to... We ended up moving away to Oregon and having a kid out there, and she's still great. But the rest of it was really bad ideas because uh, I kind of stepped away from the industry and everything and never really got fully back into it. But so after we got divorced in 2012, I started playing more shooters, like video games, and started watching more horror movies. And I feel like it's all coming from the same feeling, you know, which is like rage, not really rage, but just darkness and you know, since then I've uh, discovered, you know, I've been diagnosed with severe anxiety and ADHD and stuff. And so uh, that drew me into horror even more because, especially with severe anxiety, horror uh, burns out your anxieties in a fun way. You know what I mean? Definitely. Because, you know, sometimes real anxiety, like severe, like clinical anxiety, it's not coming from something. It's just there. Right. You know, and it's looking for anything to make you worry about. I mean, I freak out about a fucking, if I drop a fork on the ground sometimes, you know what I mean? And so you watch, so you burn those chemicals out of your head a little bit watching Jason sneaking around trying to kill everybody. And then you're like, okay, well now I can go about the rest of my night, you know, like sure, not pick up as... that fork, no problem. Right, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, good, now I can kind of function. And it's not even just that, but it's, it's a lot of fun. And it's about uh, making yourself comfortable with that. And now sharing it with my daughter who's 12, almost 12. So she's, uh, I'm kind of showing her 
I don't know. I'm still really thinking about what I show her for horror movies before I do, but I'm just mainly trying to get her to be okay with the idea of fear because I think uh, we fear fear, and that's stupid. We should, uh, I mean, as a society, not as horror nerds. That's right. why we're cool, you know? <laughs> Definitely. By the way, uh, since we're both horror fans, happy uh, Joe Bob season premiere night. Yes, so. very exciting, very <laughs> exciting. Anyways, uh, you know, so it's kind of like supposed to be this dirty emotion that we're... You know what I mean? Like, it's bad to get, and, like, you don't want to pursue being afraid, but it's like, well, why not? Yeah. It's very important to feel the full spectrum of emotions. Sure. And horror does such a great job of providing that catharsis of you spend all your time wondering about the worst-case scenario, and there it is, on screen, happening. Yeah. And every time, well, not every time, but most times, you see the villain overthrown or whatever, or you see them outsmarted in some way. You mm-hmm. see the situation handled. And even if it's not a positive ending, you're still like, well, now I know what to expect. I'm prepared. Right. <laughs> and, it, you know, and I'm sure we're going to go through the movie chronologically, but um, uh, as a parent, there's obviously some scenes in this uh, that are just like, holy fucking shit. Do you have kids? No, I don't, okay, but okay. I can I can only imagine. Yes. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, man, yeah. So uh, it's fun to play on all those fears, you know? And, and when I, uh, so when I consider something to show my daughter, it's like R-rated is not a problem. That's not really, I'm not really thinking ratings. I'm thinking complexity mm-hmm. of the horror. Yeah. So, like, for example, if I now I would not show her possession because possession that is R rated for a fucking reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but okay, so like, uh, well, like I was telling you, so I showed her, I gave her the sex talk because I thought she was gonna get in school first. I wanted to beat the rednecks to the punch <laughs> with like not just being like, sex is bad, don't have it. If you do have it, only have it with a guy. And if you do have it uh, uh, with him, make sure you don't wear shoes in the kitchen for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know, I want to be like, hey, you know, sex, I think I explained it. Sex is what happens when two people who are attracted to each other uh, make each other feel good. Because it's like, I'm not going to say the fucking word love. Yeah. Not always <laughs> you know? part of it. But so, yeah. So I explained it to her. Uh, I gave her the sex talk, and I'm like, well, now you're ready to watch Jason. And that's really <laughs> all you need to know, you know. And and we also watched the first Halloween. But um, as far as something like uh, Hellraiser, for example, I sure. think the fears and the themes of Hellraiser are a little too complex for a 12-year-old. And it's not like, like she shuts her eyes if she thinks it's going to get gross. She also shuts her eyes at boobs, although I think she's starting to do this more at the sex scenes. Like, oh, what are they doing? <laughs> Which is, you know, sure. fine, human curiosity. But I think, like, in Hellraiser, for example, she'd be like, what the fuck are they talking about? Like, Because they're dealing with some real weird emotions, you know, and something like that. Definitely. And there's a lot of, like, nonverbal communication as well happening. Yeah. Yeah, you know? And I think she'd appreciate how cool it all looks, mm-hmm. the, the Clive Barkerness. But um, anyways, that's uh, not the movie we're talking about. But uh, just saying, like, uh, fear is good. And so I've been trying to, you know... Uh, incorporate that into parenting in a fun way. And I'm a Blu-ray collector. I have 300 and some odd. And so a lot of it is horror. And so she appreciates that. And she helps me. Um, We've been making like indie video store style labels for the nice. different sections. Nice. Coming up with our own ideas. So Halloween 3 would, well, I have an unhappy holidays section. But also it's like a... I couldn't come up with a clever name for it, so we just the supernatural section. But well, Halloween three, and one of the reasons I love it is because it could fit into seven different sections. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean that's that's got to be so exciting too, just because part of the appeal of horror also has been like the evocative 
art on it and sort of hitting that attraction revulsion walking through yeah. the the aisles at the video store and everything and people don't really get that anymore no except you know, for us cool guys with our Blu-ray right because you collect them too right <laughs> right right well it's like we were talking about on, on our twitter chat when we were setting this up it's like hey man eventually the streaming thing is gonna tank that's right and it won't take before twitter so we'll have to find another way to talk to each other but uh but the, the streaming thing is in a tank, and then people will be wandering the entertainment wasteland, and guys like us who have actual physical collections of movies be like, yeah, you can watch my movies, but I hope you like Italian horror from the 70s. I mean, yeah. Let's see. I have all 10 Jason movies, or <laughs> I guess we could watch The Princess Bride. I have that, too. Right. Yeah, I have that, too. Yeah. You, okay, you want to watch The Princess Bride, Deep Red, or The Car? <laughs> Which rules, by the way. Those yeah. all rule. Oh, right. absolutely. Three bangers. <laughs> that was a movie I showed my daughter. I'm like, she's like, I want to watch something medium scary. So I hadn't seen the car yet. So we watched the car. She's like, that wasn't medium scary. I'm like, that doesn't even move my needle. It's like the <laughs> one shot. The, the kitchen shot in the car is incredible. You know what I'm talking about? I do. And yeah. sometimes that's enough to carry a movie. <laughs> yeah. And it is. I mean, it's still a lot of fun. The whole yeah. idea is a lot of fun. For but sure. That shot is like, that's like, you know. You walk Cinema. out with that one in your in your mind, and when people talk to you about the movie, you go, "Oh yeah, that's the movie with that one with the one kitchen scene in it." Yeah, you know, and they're like, "Oh, check it up." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, uh, you're right though. Being able to, because sometimes I'll just uh, walk, I'll get home, and my daughter's already home, and she's just like sitting, looking at the different sections of the video shelf. And yeah, you don't get to do that anymore. Like she won't get to. She doesn't know what that is. Yeah. She doesn't. Uh, I mean, you know, well, this is a movie we both walked by as kids. I'm 42, so I was like in the heyday. Right. And uh, we had multiple, I lived in a town of 20,000 people. We had multiple independent video stores and a Blockbuster and oh, a Hollywood yeah. video. You mm -hmm. know, like you, it, even a few people could support that much. We also had like every chain pizzeria at the same time at one point. Damn, you were living the high life. <laughs> oh, dude, it was crazy. Pizza and movies. Well, they're still the two best things. But, you know, she won't, she, she'll never know the thrill of walking through a shelf being like, what the hell is Pigs? Like, I'll always remember the cover of the movie Pigs. I've never seen it. That's exactly right. You just remember yeah. the cover and it looms large in your memory. It's like a bloody... And so, by the way, uh, and I mentioned I have ADHD, so you're going to have to really corral this if you're, try <laughs> all you're right. trying to get the movie going. So, well, all right. Well, so I did first <laughs> want to ask, do you have a favorite subgenre within horror, something that really gets you going? And uh, do you have one, a favorite one from this uh, these fun, fancy subgenres that you have been putting together yourself, something like Unhappy Holidays? Yeah, Unhappy Holidays is a good one. You know what we came up with? It's not quite horror, but it's a... <laughs> It's a section I call Scum, and it's got uh, Deadbeat for Dawn, um, mm -hmm. the movie Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal, um, Fight Club is in there, nice. Cheap Thrills, mm -hmm. have you seen that one? Oh, yeah, okay. covered on the show as the best horror movie ever made, in fact. Cheap Thrills? Yeah. Okay. With Zach, Zach's wife is in it, uh, Sarah. Oh, wow. I Sarah Paxson. Married. Yeah. So anyways, that's on there. You know, some movies like that. Like, nice. it's some of those, I can't remember everything on there. Some of them do. Oh. The Hills Have Eyes is on there. because mm. And you could put that under monsters. I have a monster section. But, you know, so I love the scumbags. But it's also, I, I do just like monster stuff, and I like alien stuff. I love the thing. I love alien and aliens. Oh, the original, the thing from another world is awesome. Yeah, definitely. My daughter and I just watched, because there was a Warner Warner archive sale, we watched The Attack of the 50-Foot Woman for the first time ever. Oh, have nice. you seen that? I haven't actually gone to that one. It's uh, it's like not even 70 minutes long. 
but you still kind of get to a point where you're like, okay, let's go, <laughs> you know, but it's still, it's worth it. I think watching it again, knowing how the structure is, it will be fun. So. Nice. Yeah. Hey, 70 minutes. Anyone can find time for that. Hell yeah. But yeah, so, and, and when it comes to genres, you know, I'm a guy who, it's like, okay, it, it, this is a tangent, but I swear it's going to make a point. So uh, when I was in high school, I was in a ska band and people still make fun of me for that. <laughs> Which is fine, you should. But also, my whole thing with ska music, they're like, so did you love Real Big Fish? No, no, I like the bands that use ska as like a tool to make songs, and maybe they had a lot of other different things going on in the songs too. Uh, a band called Blue Meanies or... Coming back. They're coming back. Voodoo Glow Skulls. Blue Meanies are coming back? Yeah, they're doing like one show at Riot Fest, I think. Holy shit. Blew my mind, man. I saw them at one of their last reunion shows in like 2003 or something. I, I feel the same way with genres of movies where it's like, don't box yourself in too much. Yeah. And uh, sh- sure, of course, Halloween 3 is a horror movie, but there's so many different little genres happening inside of it. And those are the ones I like the best. You yes. know what I mean? Like, yeah. just uh, they have a lot of a lot under the hood. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Know? So as you've mentioned, the movie we're talking about today is 1982's Halloween 3. Uh, this is one that can be divisive, so I'm curious to hear about just your enjoyment of the franchise writ large. Are you a fan of Halloween? Do you like individual selections, or is this kind of like the crown jewel, the one you like? Halloween 1 and and this, I mean, the original 79 Halloween, right, 79? Yeah. And this are like the only two Halloween movies I think I've seen more than once. Mm. I've watched two, three, well, three, two, four, five, and six. I haven't watched the later two Jamie Lee Curtis ones, although I've heard one of those is good. H2O is, is, pretty, is pretty good. It's got some some juice. Right, and then I've heard Resurrection is terrible. But yeah. uh, <laughs> I haven't seen the Robbie Zombie ones, although I definitely have a curiosity. You're th- are you thumbing down that? I'm big thumbs down on the Rob yeah. Zombie ones. <laughs> so I, the last movie podcast I did with some kids in the fall was about, and I don't know, I think it came out, yeah. It was about um, House of a Thousand Corpses and me talking about how much I love it. But uh, uh, That's one I actually got to get back to because I had historically been really like just not into Rob Zombie's work. I uh, respected him as someone who had a vision and was yeah. getting out there and making it happen, but they just historically were not for me. And then somebody picked Devil's Rejects for this podcast, and it really blew me away. I thought it was movie. really fantastic. Yeah. And then the Monsters movie came out, and I genuinely thought the Monsters movie was pretty fun. It's not ma- It's not bad. You know, I watched it with my daughter, which, you know, having a kid, uh, there's a lot of hard things about parenting, but uh, you can use it as an excuse to watch dumb shit that your friends would otherwise <laughs> make fun of you for. So, yeah, I've seen, uh, I've seen both Sing movies, and they're good. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, but they are. Uh, but, no, the Monsters was fun, too. But So I haven't seen those. And then I've seen Hollow- the Halloween 28, whatever that new one, the, the mm-hmm. new one. And then Halloween kills. I did not see Halloween ends, but I'm aware of how it ends. And I'm like, I don't need to see that. So. Well, so this is actually very interesting to me because I'll say that to me, Halloween ends is the closest to Halloween three. Oh, really? Yes. It is very clearly trying to do something different. It's having a hard time breaking out from the yoke of Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. And there is sort of a desperation to the ending of trying to get away from that Hmm. and honestly i i wish that it didn't have the jamie lee curtis story continued in halloween ends because Mm -hmm. if it was just about this kid 
in this town and like maybe the, like the he's haunted by Michael Myers in a less like literal way. It's just like the he's like infected the town sort of thing. I think that mm-hmm. it would have really been like a home run. <laughs> As is still still like fine for me. It's I mean it's not in my even top three Halloween's probably, but it right. might make the top five. Might make the top five. Oh, there you go. So top half of the movies. That's not bad. <laughs> there's a lot of them. You know what's funny is there's a few franchises out there that have name problems. Halloween is one. Mm-hmm. There's three fucking movies called Halloween and two called Halloween 2. <laughs> you know? And then, so uh, the only other franchise that's more confusing is Rambo. Mm. First oh, you, Blood. You're telling me that First Blood Rambo Part 2. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, First Blood, Rambo, First Blood Part 2, Rambo 3, Rambo, Rambo Last Blood. What the fuck are we talking about, you know? I know what you're talking about. It makes perfect sense to me. Right. And there's some other franchise, too. That Halloween and Rambo, there's one other one that's just like, what are we talking I can't remember what it was. but The um, Scream ones are getting a little... Yeah, well, everything having too. to like just you like the whole trend of just like we'll just call it, use the name of the first movie. It's like Mm-mm. no, Mm-mm. this is confusing. I think that they should embrace the number. Just just accept that you're at. I love seven. the numbers, <laughs> and I like co- the colon thing. Marvel really popularized that, and I mm-hmm. I like that because it's kind of got an old school feel. It's got like a serial, like you're watching a serial feel, like the name of this adventure. There you, uh, go. you know, but um, but what well, which Halloween three has both. It sure does. It sure does. So although sequels weren't new by any stretch, I mean, the Universal Monsters built a whole damn universe back in the 30s and 40s. uh, It is fair to say that sequels weren't as common at the time of Halloween. Right. As Tommy Lee Wallace said in the commentary in 2012, not quite the disease it has become now, which I just thought was (laughs) ironic, uh, considering the safety of the sequel has only become more and more tempting as budgets have ballooned out of control. And now in 2022, nine of the top 10 highest grossing movies were sequels. And the one that wasn't was The Batman, which is basically a sequel since it's still trading on yeah. the name. Wow. Those are top money-making films, you said? Yes. High, yeah, highest grossing. Yeah. I mean, I honestly count The Batman as a sequel. I mean, sure. which and I think I actually really thought that particular one was cool. But, yeah, you know, it's still, it's yeah, it's a franchise thing, you know. It's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unless you went really crazy with it and, like, had Batman, I don't know. I don't even know what I don't even know what I would say, but you know, if you went so nuts with it you, that you couldn't consider it a part of the story anymore, sure. yeah, right. If you did Gotham by Gaslight or whatever that <laughs> one where he turns into a vampire, you sure. know, do that one. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Or uh, serious place on serious earth, just trap him in the asylum the whole time, and he's like basically oh, yeah. a bat. That would yeah. be sick. Is that the one that Grant Morrison wrote? I think yeah. that is him. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. A lot of good Batman, but uh, but you're right. So. But so at the time, you know, you're you're saying uh, that Halloween three came out. It was not such a common part of our lives, right? And Halloween sort of, I mean, it didn't create the slasher genre, but for simplicity's sake, I will say that it popularized the slasher. Yes, and slashers in particular lend themselves to sequels thanks to the serialization in their very nature: stalk, Mm -hmm. kill, stalk, kill, rinse and repeat until the end. So if you can figure out a way to expand that into two or more movies by subverting the triumph at the end, the formula can continue ad nauseum. Yeah, totally. You know, it's especially like you said, it's it's kind of built into the kind of story that a slasher tells, but you're 
killing off most of the cast. You can get new cast every time, except for maybe that uh, one hot actress that we think is going to do great, so we'll keep uh, <laughs> we'll keep her on. Well, that's what they do. Right, I, I for mean, sure. I'm hot in that sense as like someone with a lot of heat, not sure. someone who's Their star meter sexy. is way high. Yes. I mean, why exactly. not both, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of times one feeds the other. So. <laughs> Especially in this country's film industry. That's right. uh, although, but that's a good way to say, well, but not for Tom Atkins. Although, I guess he has a he's sexual a, magnetism. Yeah, right? he's got a, a, a charm to him. Yeah. So, Halloween comes out, though, and it's a hit. And the studio had made it clear that Halloween 2 was happening with or without Carpenter and Hill. And so, they get to work on it and said, okay, who should direct this bad boy? And Tommy Lee Wallace, along with being a childhood friend of Carpenter's, had worked in various capacities on Dark Star, Precinct 13, The Fog, and crucially, had co-edited Halloween. So he's a a big part of establishing the tone, he knows the movie, and because of this, for about five minutes, he's lined up to direct Halloween 2. The problem is that he didn't like the script. And so he respectfully bowed out, he said, hey, hit me up next time, and they took him at his word, and when it came time to make Halloween 3, came back to him and said, do you still want to make one of these? I was just watching him talk about this on the a part of the documentary I watched, and he was basically like, they said it wasn't about Michael Myers, so I said I'm in. Like, Hell he didn't yeah. want to do more Michael Myers. You know? And Halloween 2 had been a huge hit. It made over $25 million just in the U.S., huh? and so Halloween 3 was greenlit and fast-tracked. It had eight weeks for pre-production, a $2.5 million budget, which was nothing to sneeze at. And the one condition, as you said, that Carpenter and Hill alluded to, Uh, When they agreed to produce it, they established that it wasn't going to be a true sequel, but more create an anthology series. They wanted a larger scale Twilight Zone or Night Gallery kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And in fact, in the November 1982 issue of Twilight Zone magazine, Carpenter talked about how he had hoped the original Halloween had, quote, created a whole new season to show films. Uh, Every year, a distinct story providing young directors like Wallace a chance to direct under the tutelage of people like Carpenter and Hill, which I think what the idea of Halloween 3 is, is brilliant. Just have it take place on Halloween. Yeah. And that's what uh, Tommy Lee Wallace says. He's like, I still think this idea is a million dollar idea. And it is a great idea. I mean, if you had that, people would like it. The the problem was they called it Halloween. Right. Right. And... I actually, that's kind of a topic I like to think about a lot because, like, I love the Manchurian Candidate, the original one. Then they remade it in the early, mid-2000s. Jonathan Demme, I believe, directed it, and Denzel Washington was in it. Have you seen that, the remake of it? Not the remake, no. So it's good, but the problem with it is that it's called the Manchurian Candidate. <laughs> you know, so it's like the whole time you're like, ah, yeah. this isn't, ah, you know. Uh, also, Bioshock 2. You can't uh, make a sequel to the greatest written video, one of the best written video games of all time. And they come out and they do like a very fun, cool new adventure, but it should have been called like Underwater Violence. <laughs> and <then laughs> everyone would love it, you know? There's a few things like that where it's like, it's too bad you had to call it this because otherwise. Yeah. You know. I mean, even as recently as the newest All Quiet on the Western Front adaptation, I, I mean, I didn't love it or anyway as sort of a ripoff, not ripoff. It's uh, very similar to Come and See, but sure, okay. but less effective in my opinion. And Dude, Come and See, how can you get more effective than Come and See? <laughs> this is what I'm saying: is they've already yeah. done it, so why are we yeah. even still going back to this well? But right. then on top of that, the what what is most uh, impactful for me about All Quiet on the Western Front is the moments when they leave the war on uh, and like go back to the village on leave, 
and they just feel so completely alienated from the people around them in that mm-hmm. like even if they are surviving they are completely alien to the human race now at this point right. because of the toll that war has on them and mm-hmm. so they took all of that stuff out of the newest movie and basically really? made it like war pigs i mean which fine great message but so they're trying to go for more of a 1917 thing where it's all like real-time kind of yeah. war fighting kind of stuff yeah and uh you know not for me that's a fine three-star anti-war movie sure but it's not all quiet on the western front Right. I mean, that's the meat and potatoes. You think about what's one of the best books about war ever written? Catch-22. How much war is in that book? Like, none. None. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, I think it's been a long time since I read it. I should read it again. They fly but, over um, a bunch. They do. They fly a few missions, but a lot yeah, of it yeah, is like at the barracks and stuff. Yeah. There's never a guy in the trenches like, I'm never going to see my daughter again. <laughs> you know, nothing like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's too bad. But, you know, so I think uh, that rigidity of what... Uh, if you're remaking something or adapting something or making a sequel or something a new franchise there's so much of a rigidity that was clearly not there it wasn't that rigidity was not as set in stone when they allowed these guys to make halloween 3 they're like sure make this fucking you know uh witch laser bug movie <laughs> and uh fine you know yeah yeah well yeah it is it is interesting that it's like they're going through a very a very similar a similar thing where it's like if if they had just been like oh we're not trying to cash in on the name halloween we're not trying to cash in on the name all quiet on the western front then great it's a totally right. unique and enjoyable movie but yeah well uh, i think and i actually that... also do still like that it would have been halloween yes yeah. you know, I, 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 yeah, I still like that because well, you know what and I, I i wrote down notes when i watched it today but uh uh there's a scene towards the end where Tom Atkins is in a room and the movie Halloween is playing mm-hmm. and the music from the movie, uh, what do you call that when the music in a scene is coming from something in actually? Diegetic. Diegetic. There you go. <sighs> uh, <laughs> I don't remember all that stuff. Anyways, so, you know, but it's actually adding, so the music from Halloween is actually being used in the scene in Halloween oh, 3, yeah. you know, uh, and, it, and, it's, and like, What's awesome, too, is he starts getting antsy because he knows the movie's almost over. And when the movie's <laughs> over, that's when everybody dies because the yeah. commercial's going to come on. Ooh, you know, Beautiful, beautiful coming together that way. Yeah. So Deborah Hill had the concept for this movie, Witchcraft Meets the Computer Age. John said, run with that. They ran to Nigel Neal of the Quatermass series, which John was a fan of. Then mm-hmm. John did a rewrite of Nigel's script, and Tommy did a rewrite of John's. And he said that John was around to help, but careful not to cast too long of a shadow, which was ideal. And also the inside job placement of the crew, like Dean Cundy, really helped him feel supported for his uh, first sure. endeavor. Tom Atkins, in the commentary, called him the Dean of Darkness, not once but twice. He called Dean Cundy that? Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> truly, truly made me laugh both times. You know... There's some actors where it's like, God, I wish I could hang out with that guy. <laughs> Tom Atkins is definitely one, you know? Yeah, for he sure. He just seems like he's fun. Um, yeah, that's, that's that's very interesting, though. And, you know, I, I was one of the first things I wrote down when I was watching it is it almost feels, right when it starts, it almost feels like it's a John Car- like literally made by John Carpenter in that time frame because uh, right around that time, he was making Escape from New York, The Thing, uh, a little bit later, Prince of Darkness and They Live, and Halloween 3, 
has a lot of tonal similarities to those. Definitely. Apocalyptic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but also weird science stuff happening, you know, Definitely. and nothing overexplained. Right. Crucially, I think. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, my, well, Zach Krager from Whitest Kids, Barbarian. Uh, I think one of Barbarian's greatest strength is the uh, very bare bones explanation. And when I saw people afterwards being like, be cool to see a prequel or a sequel, it's like, <laughs> no. it'd be cool to see a prequel. You want to see what else that guy was up to? What are you talking about? It's just angst. <laughs> it's just a movie yeah, angst. <laughs> totally, man. It's just some fucking asshole going around being horrible to women. <laughs> what? Let's not watch that. Yeah, we can we got, that enough in real life. We got the good one, and this yeah. is uh, this is perfect. Yeah, you know, so so for I, I've I always love that the uh, not giving us too much. Dan Hurley he does have his little monologue towards the end, but it's a monologue from like this very weird his very weird angle, so it doesn't quite explain it to us. Yeah, you know, yeah, so, for sure. I love it. Uh, so this inside track is also how Atkins got cast. Deborah suggested him to Tommy, and they were all already friends socially with him from working on The Fog. And then also, Adrian Barbeau was married to John Carpenter, and friends right. from Greece with Garn Stevens, who was married to Tom, and also plays Margie Gutman in this. Hmm. So there you go. Uh, Tommy wow. said it was a short conversation. <laughs> sure. And uh, the, the crew was... Uh, Somebody, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Deborah Hill. Somebody was, no, was, I can't remember who it was. He was the costume designer in that document. Right, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's funny that we're talking about the same documentary. Okay, so, but she says somewhere, it's like almost the same crew from Halloween 2. Yeah, you but know, it works. And, what, Is Atkins in, he's in Halloween 2, isn't he? I, I don't think so, Halloween. no. No, not. he was um, in The Fog. Right, he's in The Fog. He has a, a small role in Escape from New York as well. Right, okay. There you yep. go. Um, and I do think that he works really well. Like, even even though they're like, I think you should cast Tom Atkins. Yes, you should have cast Tom Atkins. They don't yeah. want him to be the pretty boy. They right. wanted someone with some seasoning, they said. Yeah. And, and I think it does make the movie work with a little uh, everyman believability with some flaws in there. Yeah. You know, I, I on, on his note, I wrote something down here. Oh, I love when, like old kind of work working man actors the actors that just go to work and he explains take it uh he says in that uh tom atkins that hey uh i just do jobs like i don't pick my movies i just like i just uh, take the work um so you know but he was already at the point even then that he being in it is going to add some like you said some some spice to it but kind of uh giving it some credibility and then you get uh, Dan O'Hurley on it too yeah. who is a respected actor and what i didn't know is that he also had some knowledge about the celtic stuff yeah big old uh, irish but, guy yeah so uh but anyways i love when old kind of workman actors like that pick a weird ass movie to be in and kind of give it this credibility uh i recently i, I i'm in the middle of watching rewatching all the twin peaks and dan hurley oh, O'Hurley right. connection but he's one of several old season tv actors that show up in that show and just give the this weird ass show and movie and whatever uh some gravity you yeah, know for sure absolutely that was also pulling sort of the pleasance type uh-huh. crucial to sort of getting that same kind of feel and in discussing the influences for the movie tommy said it was a difficult assignment to try and appeal to the same audience while still being distinct uh, oh. so halloween was first and foremost but right up there with halloween looming large was Don Siegel's 1956 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, even describing Halloween 3 as a pod movie, not a knife movie. Yeah. Yeah, he said that. Which is, it's cool. I like that. Because it's not, you know, there's some really great kills in it, but it's not a slasher movie. Yeah. 
And even as producers and director alike tried to make sure it was distinct, the studio embodied the movie's warning about the power of mass media. Uh, Commercials and trailers for the movie deliberately confused the issue. They barely used scenes from the movies. There was no explanation of the story. They even used the tagline, The Night No One Comes Home, which, yes, a great tagline, but playing off the first movie's tagline, The Night He Came Home. So did they, so they kind of sort of try to make people think Michael Myers would be in it? I think that they did, and this is obviously far louder and wide-reaching than John talking to Twilight Zone magazine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're talking about the movie's marketing campaign. Right, right. Yeah. And and it be, Tommy called it creating a built-in flop with the audiences understandably feeling like the rug had sure. been pulled from under them. Yeah, like almost like they were being pranked, you know? Exactly. Pranked by Dan O'Hurley. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah, totally. Which yeah, like like you said, it really ties in with the actual what's happening in the movie, and um, I I really love that about it because it is I I do think Halloween three, and now it is starting to get its due, you know, because we're both talking about the reason we're both talking about the same documentary is because we both have the cool Blu-ray that somebody put out of it, you know, that Shout Factory did. So, uh, you know, people like it now, but I I do think it's uh. Got a lot of layers to it and got a lot of interesting things going on in there. And yeah. uh, I can't imagine what it'd be like seeing it in the theater not knowing. Yeah. Because, like, even knowing, i watching it tonight, and I just watched it, you know, six months ago for Halloween. Uh, even knowing what happens, it's still like, holy shit, some of that stuff. <laughs> <you know? laughs> like, the bugs and the snakes, I Ooh. mean, you're never totally ready for that. It's always like, holy that's fucking crazy. The, you know, the like, one that got me, I literally watched this movie three times in the last four days because I watched it once <laughs> and then I watched it with one of the commentaries and then I watched it with the second commentary. Sure. And every time the moment where he like crunches the guy's face in the hospital, I truly flinched every time. It's crazy. Well, there's <laughs> also, uh, you know, it's the first, like one reason I love this movie is you don't, find out really what's happening until towards the end but it's not like a twist yeah. it's just a slow un- unveiling of it and so that's like the first one of the first weird things that happens before that you see the robot get crushed by the cars or you don't know it's a robot but he the guy gets crushed by the cars and he's acting weird yeah and so but yeah so then he grabs his face and it, he the way he does it is so weird because he takes doesn't he take his glove off and then he like extends two fingers yeah he makes a fist and extends two fingers <laughs> oh it's really it's like, weird yeah the, yeah the whole thing is so strange you're like what and then he just like mushes his head in and it's Ooh. like holy shit and the effects are pretty fucking cool yeah there's some really great crushed heads melted heads mm-hmm. for the sure bug, the bug mouth when, when the lady gets shot in the like mouth exploded out fucking <laughs> man yeah dude How, because that's the thing is like you haven't seen that before you know what i mean mm-hmm. you watch that movie like i've never seen that yeah you know? <laughs> um i mean Fulci probably jerked off to it you know what i mean so <laughs> oh, finally somebody has received <laughs> yeah. my message <laughs> yeah because he just loves he wants to destroy people's faces so uh-huh. i bet he liked that movie because yeah you see several faces get completely fucking mangled <laughs> oh yeah for sure i bet he loved it so tommy while here's a quote from him about the uh, distribution he said universal i feel simply blew it we went into this with the understanding that this was not a true sequel and i think the mistake for john and deborah and me was not to insist it be called something else instead Mm. universal completely buried the fact that it wasn't a true sequel i think what they really wanted was just a big opening weekend everybody who saw it felt burned no jamie lee no knife no shape no donald pleasance 
and the advertising really hadn't told that fact. And the way that it did come out does seem to support that about wanting just a big opening weekend because mm-hmm. it was released October 22nd. It played in more theaters during the first two weeks than any other film at the time, ranking wow. in the top three both weeks. And then when wow. the relatively poor third week hit, they reduced the screens from over 1,000 to under 200. Jeez. And it was done by early December. So it basically wow. got a month because then the bad word of mouth started to, sure. uh, started to get out there. Man, what if that came out during the internet? It'd be fine. Right. You know I mean? It probably would be. <laughs> like, because people would be like, oh, shit, you got to see Halloween 3. You are not going to believe this <laughs> this shit, you know? <laughs> I feel like it'd be similar to Barbarian. Barbarian's word of mouth, internet word of mouth. I mean, I don't have it sat down. To, I don't know about all the science and numbers behind that film's success. But, I mean, people were saying, you got to see this. Don't right. fucking read anything about it. Go, you Just know? Just go. And, yeah, exactly. Just go. And, I mean, I saw it to the theater two times or three. Yeah, two times. And uh, a lot of people went back and saw it multiple times. And other people were going because they were hearing about, what the fuck is this thing? You know? Yes. And I, I would have to think that with, you know, there were horror fans then, like there's horror fans now, but it was harder to get connected. Mm-hmm. And it, whereas now it's too easy to talk to people because you don't want, people have too much access to each other now. <laughs> and yes. and I can say that as somebody who's like had a, sh- had a thing that came out that people enjoyed. So now like, I love meeting fans, but sometimes it's like, man, they can like talk to me whenever they want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now I can choose not to read it sometimes or wait. Like I'll read these messages tomorrow, <laughs> but still sometimes there's too much access. But all I'm saying is like at, at, when the, when Halloween three came out, if people were had a little bit easier ability to be like, Hey, you should check out like maybe it would have been fine. Yeah, but for sure. But what, but here's the other thing. Would you want, what if it was successful? Then they would do sequels to that. Mm, great point. Cause Tommy Lee or somebody uh, uh, in that uh, doc said, uh, you know, when he was talking about how he really enjoyed the idea of having Halloween be an anthology series, he was saying that each new story could have its own branching sequels and stuff. Yeah. It's like, man, I don't think I want to see what happens after Halloween 3 ends. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great point. And I uh, definitely don't. I love not to jump literally to the ending, but I right. love the ambiguity. Oh, <laughs> the ending is great. Yeah. And, yeah. well, that's one thing I wrote down, too, is uh as one of the main reasons i love it is i love ambiguous endings and carpenter's really good at that for sure so there wasn't a lot of public fandom or support on home video and plenty of critics railed against the gore and its association with horror at all along with ebert's insane review where he seems to think that it takes place immediately after halloween 2 and the (laughs) lab tech is going through michael's ashes what? Oh my God! I I didn't know about this at all. I got to read that. Roger Ebert wrote a crazy review, huh? Yes, it's so bizarre. No wonder he was confused if he's like this lab tech is going through Michael Myers and being like, why is he metal and plastic? <laughs> Dude, okay. Can you imagine watching Halloween three, thinking a that it's in the same universe, and b that like like halfway through, you're like Michael Myers is a robot? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Man, I wish I would know that. I, I found myself at an award show many years ago sitting like a one one or two chairs in front of Roger Ebert. This was oh, wow. he was towards the end of his life when he had a lot of his face removed, unfortunately, from cancer and stuff. Right. But he was there and I was like, Man, it'd be great to talk to him, but like, man, I wish I could have asked him about that. Like, yeah. Dude, <laughs> Do you what? still think that Michael yeah. was in there? Yeah, what was your angle going into <laughs> Halloween three? Like, had you seen the other ones? Were you high? Like, what was happening <laughs> with you? You know? Tell us, Raj. Yeah, I, I want to hear it, man. <laughs> 
Um, there were, though, at least some contemporary critics who did respond positively to the movie. Huh. Uh, Vincent Canby from the New York Times said, Halloween 3 means to be funny and frequently is. The sets, including the photogenic little town in Northern California and the mad toy maker's Dr. No-like laboratory, are unusually good. Mr. Wallace clearly has a fondness for the cliches he is parodying and does it with style. I think that that is a spot-on review. Yeah, it is a movie that is kind of about working in entertainment in some ways. Mm -hmm. And uh, like you said, advertising and corporations and, and all that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. And he said the reaction really hurt, which I can obviously understand, but that the growing fandom uh, that it has found has been all the more gratifying for it. And as we sort of alluded to, I do think that because Halloween 3 went through this, that it does emphasize the satire and commentary on commercialism that's in it. Uh, as As we'll mention in the plot discussion, ultimately the motivation is to return to the primitive origins of Halloween. And to do so, the villain uses the medium against itself. Yeah. The masks, which, while very cool, are stock Halloween symbols. And as we see with the constant ad, what's being sold is the Silver Shamrock brand. Mm. Uh, As clearly demonstrated by Dr. Chalice's kids, they parrot it, they're programmed just like the robots to respond to the name, and also just like the audience, expecting and excited to see the thing I know. Michael Myers will be here. Right. And then... And, uh oh. <laughs> and, and you know, the Silver Shamrock ads are interesting because, yes, they use the old Halloween iconography. I think that's how you say that word. But also, it's, uh, there's, like, in the commercial, there's just as much Silver Shamrock logo, and they say it in the song, you yeah, know? So, that's it right. Is very corporate uh, brainwashing, you know? And this, in addition to complaints from characters who are dealing with Silver Shamrock, like, making the little guy wait in line now that they're doing big business despite the merchandise slipping. It really resonates with the complaints and reluctance to continue the series from Hill and Carpenter and Mm. does create this sort of alignment between Silver Shamrock and the Halloween franchise itself. Wow, Um, yeah. One other thing that I thought was kind of interesting that I don't really see a lot of people talking about is that the Silver Shamrock goons, these robots, Mm -hmm. are established as not feeling pain or emotion or anything, They have super strength. They wear a monotone outfit. In a way, they're exactly what was demanded. They're more Michael Myers proliferated. There's several of them. Wow, yeah. And they're fucking uh, suits. They're entertainment industry suits. They're they're super powerful, and they have no emotions. (laughs) And Cochran also says that their skin is basically just a fancy mask. Ooh. And one of them is even played by Dick Warlock, who was Myers in Halloween 2. Oh, yeah. Wow. You know, I'm sure you're, uh, like we established earlier, you're quite a bit younger than me. But I assume in some ways you're more mature because every time I watch anything in which Dick Warlock's name is displayed <laughs> on screen, I pause it and I take a picture of it and I send it <laughs> to my siblings. I'm the oldest of six kids and we have a group chat, so I just send it to everybody. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't do that, too. <laughs> It's just, it's the, I mean, it is the best name. It's great. It's And really, he seems really like a good. cool dude. So it's like, congratulations on being cool and having the best name. That's a really good one. Second for me, Imogen Poots. That's another classic. Imogen Poots is like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, I love that. That's a great name. Uh, yeah, there's a few really good ones out there. But yeah, Dick Warlock. A classic. A classic. Um, Everybody likes one of those. At least. <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm, in, I'm on board with that. I'm on board <laughs> 
So let's get into the actual movie. Sure. The, the great opening pulls double duty in a pretty interesting way. It does, again, align itself with the first two by using this pumpkin reveal, but the more overtly synthy score and the digital nature of the pumpkin signal that shift towards the sci-fi element. Yep, for sure. The date cards also align it with the original and tell us that it's October, Saturday the 23rd, and a man on foot is chased down to a junkyard and attacked by some goons in suits. An hour later, it's pouring rain, and the news is reporting on the disappearance of a Stonehenge stone, Stonehenge stone, before Mm -hmm. an ad for Silver Shamrock novelty plays, and God, this ad, I mean, we have already touched on it. It's the perfect amount of annoying. I love it. I could see myself chanting it as a kid, demanding a mask, or even today, if I'm being honest. Well, right, and you know what's interesting, and I wrote this down, and then you and I talked about, you and I both have experience actually having to make commercials, and Mm -hmm. I have had experience making radio commercials in the past. The thing is with that, so some people think, and they're not wrong, but some people think that the best uh, plan of attack when you're making a commercial is to make it annoying because <laughs> it's going to drive so, drive into somebody's head. Sure. Me, I is. think like you do want it to be memorable, but you can do that and still have it be enjoyable. But mm-hmm. some people think you know there is there is validity to that because it does work, unfortunately. Oh, sure. I mean, the fact that I immediately was like, Cars for Kids, I remember the head-on ads as well were a fucking nightmare. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you know? And and that's just how brains work, I guess. And Mm -hmm. so that's one shitty thing about advertising is they figure (laughs) out, it's like figuring out how brains work. But like... (laughs) To me, it's like, well, I know how I kind of feel like I understand how somebody listening to a commercial would work, but why don't we still uh, make this uh, an enjoyable process for them? <laughs> right. I mean, you, know? you want them to have a positive association with the product. Right. Instead of, the, I mean, the whole making an annoying song thing is a very cynical approach where it's like, we're just using your body's chemistry <laughs> inside of your fucking face <laughs> to make you remember this. That's like, right. we don't care if you like it or not. We're, <laughs> we're, we're fucking hijacking. Yeah liquid uh, in your skull eat it up eat this yeah. yummy slop Garmembers, yeah you know it's just fucking you know it's just That's pain right. and suffering feed yeah. it into my face but um <laughs> i uh uh yeah so so silver sham because that song's so annoying and and one thing that's interesting and not to get too ahead in the plot but i don't think i don't know this is kind of a weird aside but so i think there's something to be said or maybe studied with this movie of which characters like the Silver Shamrock song and ad, and which character's like, ah, Christ, turn that shit off! Because I feel like the good guys are always like, ah, this fucking, get the, get it off! You know? And yeah. like the kids and some of the bad guys are like, it's a great commercial. <laughs> you know? They're right. They're right, I think. Maybe that makes me a villain, but damn it, no, they're right. Well, but, uh, <laughs> but again, it goes back to, you know, uh, what approach is it? Is it entertaining? No. Sure, a little bit. It also definitely... Gets into that, like, caveman level, just annoying, just trying to drive into your skull. If I was hearing it, the amount that I was hearing actual ads, then it would, any affection that I have for it would immediately plummet. Right. Well, right, because we have, us in our world, uh, have the advantage of only, because already, when you think about the Silver Shamrock song, let's get into some psychology here. When you think about the Silver Shamrock song right now, even though you know how advertising works, you are still associating it positively because it's in a movie you love. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, if it was just out in the world advertising something <laughs> real, we'd probably be like, oh, God, you know? <laughs> Silver Shamrock again this year? How do you do it? Jesus, <laughs> oh, God. It's like they buy, they bought, like, 15 spaces for a day and put them all in one hour. You know, it's like, oh, God. 
so Tommy Lee Wallace actually said that's all him, all the vocals and <laughs> instrumentation. <laughs> that's great. Namely because I worked cheap. <laughs> oh, that's funny. They went for something in the public domain as possible and felt London Bridge is falling down, had that insidious quality that they were looking for, which I frankly agree with. Yeah. Have you ever heard the Whitest Kids album, the audio album we have? No, I don't think I knew that existed. Yeah, it's uh, not many people do. Put out in 2006 or seven, and the first track is playing on the whole idea of evil albums and music and yeah. CDs making kids do bad things, and it's me as the cd and so i start talking the kids into like you should start cutting yourself and you should smoke (laughs) pot and and uh, it's not funny to say this anymore but like you should take a gun to school like Mm. all this crazy shit and then i'm like oh your mom's coming then i start saying (laughs) london bridge is falling down so like we were using that song and i agree with what tommy wallace says because we were using it as it as sinister you know and it is it's the tune is sinister the words are sinister too yeah before we move on from these masks i gotta know which one are you going for if you have the choice? Oh, the masks? Yeah. Um, I kind of like the pumpkin one, but the witch one, they're all cool. They're I all would cool. Probably, I'd probably go pumpkin. Pumpkin's a classic. I think I got to go for the skeleton. I'm a big skeleton fan, and when you see it on someone shortly, I'm like, damn, that mask was sick. Yeah, it does look cool. And the witch one is cool, too. That, yeah. That's the thing is, like, you kind of understand why these kids are so bananas for these. Because, like, <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, we had Halloween masks. But, like, sometimes it's that cheap plastic thing. Like, mm-hmm. I was a kid in the 80s where a Spider-Man costume was a plastic Spider-Man mask that was just the front of his face that you put on with a rubber band that's uncomfortable. <laughs> and then a plastic shirt that's not even his costume. It's just another picture of Spider-Man. And that was so many kids' costumes in the 80s, you know? Rainbow Bright, uh, whatever, Spider-Man, Superman, Star Wars, whatever. It was just like a, a half-face plastic mask and then a picture of the thing. <laughs> it's just like, okay. <laughs> So th- that's the point that these masks in this movie, like having been a kid who went to Hall, who had several Halloweens in the eighties that I can sort of remember. It's like, wow, like those masks. Yeah. Everybody would have been fucking crazy for those masks. They're really good. You know? Hell yeah. Don Post killing it with the, uh, he did the witch and the skeleton and then, uh, those already existed. And then he, uh, they built the pumpkin one. So there you Whoa. go. Built, built so Don Post has a Halloween mask company, right? I mean, that's, yeah. mm-hmm. he's, they, they're still going, aren't they? Yeah. And uh, still some fun stuff. So there you go. Yeah, very cool. Tommy has actually said that the three in the title of Halloween 3 actually refers to these masks rather than its relationship to the previous Halloween movies. Hmm. With the ad saying, don't forget to get one of the big Halloween 3. Yes, three masks to choose from. Oh, that's the ad in the movie says that. The the ad says it. And then he pointed it out and said, this is supposed to be what Halloween 3 is referencing. That's interesting. I like yeah. that. And of course, that's probably a retroactively thing after they already knew it would be a hollow. The movie mm-hmm. they're making was a hollow that was Halloween 3. So yeah, but I like that adding a, I love it when people do that because it's like, you don't need that to enjoy it, but it is kind of fun to hear about it and think about it. And next time I watch it, I'll be thinking about that. You know, there you go. And this is my own little spice that I'm going to add on here. <laughs> the fact that it's Roman numerals instead of the digit, Looks like dang old Stonehenge. Oh, yeah. Good point. For sure. So a lot of... And that was probably intentional, too. You know? They were probably thinking about that. I mean, hey, it's an easy win. Yeah. Why not? The gas station attendant there is shocked by the man we saw getting chased who stumbles in and collapses, clutching a pumpkin mask like the one we just saw in the ad. And he gasps out, they're coming. 
And indeed they are, as we see one outside watching the two set off for the hospital, accompanied by a little laser synth sting. Pew! Yeah, so good. <laughs> and then is that when it kicks in with classic carbon? Din, 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 din. So good. And we cut to Tom Atkins' character, Dan Chalice, arriving at his ex-wife's house and greets his kids with two bullshit masks. Not like the amazing <laughs> Silver Shamrock ones. Mom got us, you deadbeat. Those are the masks that I'm talking about. The ones he has is what I'm talking about. The, the cheap rubber band, just a plastic thing that goes on the front of your face. Yeah. Fuck you, Tom Atkins. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, I love you. This is Helen, played by Nancy Loomis, mm-hmm. named like the doctor, which was shocking to me. And yeah. then and then on top of that, she was actually in all three of the movies in some fashion or another. Yeah. And she's the ex-wife of Tommy Lee Wallace in real life. Yeah. Tons of she's connections. A, she's interesting, man. Yeah. And, and, and she uh, got involved in politics. I can't remember. She she has had an interesting uh, yeah. life since the, all over the place since her time with the Carpenter crew, you know. Tom Atkins' character is also having some beer while being on call as a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> a fact... <laughs> A fact that we discover when he gets beeped about the guy we saw collapse. Now getting brought into room 13. Oh, uh, That was a funny little thing where you know they were sitting around like, should we? Is it too on the nose? Do it. (laughs) I agree. Not too on the nose. I just watched Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Mm. and uh, Kincaid's dog is named Jason in that movie. Wow. They're just fucking important. back at it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The, The man comes to in a state of horror. Uh, when he hears the Silver Shamrock theme and he warns them that they're going to kill us all, all of us, uh, the gas station guy gets the hell out of there at this, which really makes me laugh. I love that. I think I wrote that down. Essex Smith is his name, which uh, good what, shout out to Essex. Yes. Yes. Essex Smith. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. I, I guess I didn't write anything down, but yeah, I just love how he's like, fuck this. You know? <laughs> they're like, going to kill us? I'm getting yeah, the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. And that like, think about that. I wonder if like Jordan Peele has watched that guy because like, you know, when he may get out, the reason it's called get out is that's like a response in, in those communities sometimes where they're shouting at the screen, like get the fuck out of there. What are yeah. you doing? And so this guy's like, fuck it. Like this is bad. <laughs> Let me <laughs> get leg, the it, heck. leg it the hell out. And uh, he's right to do it. And that's yeah. why we get to see him in later on. Yeah. It's like, what a few people we see later on. <laughs> that's right. They sedate our victim here. And Tom Atkins is having a good old time flirting with the elderly nurse. But the camera reveals that our suited goon has infiltrated the hospital. Hmm. He stalks the halls, the click clack of his shoes, causing a fluttering, but not a stirring from the victim until it's too late. And as we described, this death is brutal, later described as pulling his skull apart. Yes. So awesome. But, but so when they say he pulled his skull apart, I'm like, well, what direction? Because it looked to me like he smushed it together. I think he you grip it and then you yank. <laughs> you know what's cool about it? It's just it's like because I mean, because of what we find out later about them, it's like, oh, so it, it's not something a human would think to do. Yeah. It's also very funny to me in the commentary when Tommy Lee Wallace is distracted by this mid-story, and he's just like, oh, that is gross. Shit. <laughs> well, it, I mean, but like you said earlier, it sticks with you, man. That's mm-hmm. a crazy, like, I'm I, I still think I can still, I just watched it a couple hours ago, but I can still picture, like, the, you know, Yeah, the a little face. bit of blood, like, dripping down. Yeah, and, and the eye, there's some eyeball goo, I think, mm-hmm. in that scene, too, and it's just like, it's gross. It's good. It sure is. Uh, you also get a great shot of the mask on the floor, intercut with several other details, which I really like. Yeah. The nurse stumbles on him, cleaning his gloves, and he simply ignores her and walks out as she questions him, then screams. 
And Chalice runs out to the parking lot after him, just in time to see him self-immolate in a car which explodes. Fucking incredible. Yeah. Amazing expression of disbelief from Atkins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what? He's just exasperated most of the movie. And this is when... And I feel like it starts here and it never stops. He's like, ah, like he's in over his head. He has the look, the look of bewilderment. Yeah, just like, ah, and, and just kind of like tired. He does that really yeah. well. <laughs> this was a point where I wrote down here, John Carpenter, because he did, he was involved in developing this movie, right? Mm-hmm. So I wrote, John Carpenter must have known a middle-aged, cynical, badass doctor. <laughs> because Dan Chalice and, of course, uh, Dr. Loomis... In the Halloween movies, and I feel like there's other characters in John Carpenter movies that are doctors that are like fucking cool. Prince of Darkness. Like, there mean, you go. Yeah. And which yeah, there's a bunch of them in that movie, right? Um, yeah, they're all they're all like doctor doctoral students, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, but like you know, so many doctors are just like smoking and drinking and like fucking people, and then they're like, but they still are smart and like yeah. know how to save the day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I also loved the uh, commentary line: "When in doubt, just make it blow up real big." Yeah. And it worked. <laughs> that works for a lot of people. Uh, a, a young filmmaker who made his uh, name with them, uh, Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Blow shit up, buddy. Let that's up. right. Are you aware of Outlaw Vern at all, the writer? No, I'm not familiar. Oh, dude. So Outlaw Vern, shout out to Vern, is a guy who he has a movie blog and he writes lots and lots of stuff, lots and lots of reviews about movies and new ones, but he's always diving back in. Like right now he was... He did like a retrospective on his site of just in, of reviewing every Ronnie U movie. Like, oh, hell yeah. You know, stuff like that. So he talks about Michael Bay, and he, he doesn't like Michael Bay because he's a, a very into a clearly shot action, which Bay doesn't do, and I agree. Right. But also, I think he first said this, and I agree too, that Bay, Michael Bay is almost kind of an auteur. No doubt. Where like he has a very specific For sure. thing that he likes to do. None of the things that he likes to do are very good to <laughs> me. But he does them, you know? Yeah. And it's like, here's like, we got a golden lit American flag. We got a slow crawl up a sexy acid torso and short jeans. Mm-hmm. We got, uh, you know, uh, just intercut imagery of planes and troops. You know, he loves even, that shit. Even that distorted action is, you know, that's the hallmark. Yeah, that's just what he likes to do. That's how he sees the world, you know? Yeah, so. well, it's very blurry for him. <laughs> So cheers to uh, underloved artist Michael. <laughs> anyway, finally he's getting the boost he needs from <laughs> yeah. from Best Little Horror House. Yes, and from a guy who was on deep cable television. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome, Here's Mike. To you, sir. Putting in the work. So Chalice explains to his ex-wife that he can't pick up the kids tonight after all. <laughs> These conversations. Oh, God. Yeah. Incredible. But 10 a.m. Saturday, he says. Uh-huh. And I love that you can just hear her enough to get how pissed she yeah. is. That's what's great. The, the way they Mike Nancy or recorded Nancy Lewis, whatever she was doing for that was just like, because you, you just hear her like back here like, like, and you just get like, you don't need to hear anymore. You know that he's just getting his ass eaten. And it's like, he, she's right. Yeah. Oh, uh, for sure. He's clearly a drunk, and, you know... This is clearly think... not the first time that he's bailed on picking up the kids, either. Right. <laughs> well, and here, here's the, here's why the, it's interesting, too, is because, yes, he's bailed on the kids for drinking several times. That's made clear. Now he's bailing on the kids to save the world, but nobody <laughs> fucking believes him, you know? Because he's true. a sot! That's you true. Know? Hey, you the know? boy who cried 
robots trying to take yeah. over the world. Yeah, I mean, who knows, man? Maybe in the past he's got loaded. <laughs> he was like, I can't see the kids this week. I gotta fight a robot. She's like, fuck you, Dan. <laughs> You're using the robot excuse again? Every week he prank calls the stations and says, <laughs> you can't play that commercial anymore. It's gonna it's explode like, to heads. Oh, uh, you do this again, you fucking son of a bitch. Get a new gag. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be funny if he's this whole movie. He's like, I can't believe how closely this real situation resembles my drinking excuses. <laughs> go to. Yeah, you gotta believe me, honey. There's there's bugs crawling out of this kid's mouth. They just bit his dad. Oh God, that one again, Dan. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that the uh, toy maker stole Stonehenge too. Yeah, I bet. Right, the sexy. Almost uh, pretty much inappropriately uh, younger girlfriend is actually a yellow orange juice robot. Sure. <laughs> Call me when you when you dry up. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Fucking putz. <laughs> I also just love the way it looks. He talked a, a lot on the commentary about learning to spread the frame from John, uh, who learned it from Sergio Leone. And uh, it does have a ton going on to keep it visually interesting while mm-hmm. he's just there on the phone. So yeah. great work there. There's a lot of phone calls in this movie. And they're mm-hmm. all, this never boring. Yeah. The man's daughter, Ellie, arrives at the hospital and doesn't find a lot of answers, but is asked to stick around by the police, and we move to Friday the 29th. Chalice is at a bar when another Silver Shamrock ad comes on, this time advertising a big giveaway that will happen after the immortal classic Halloween. Mm-hmm. There you go. A reference, perhaps a, a little tongue-in-cheek. From Tommy, knowing that uh, they wanted him to just recreate Halloween again, calling it the Immortal Classic. Right. Just kind of fun. Yeah, you know, a, a cynical move, possibly, for someone who is being forced to... Because he turned out... He could have made the next Immortal Classic Halloween. He didn't want to do it because he didn't want to He didn't want to do another sequel. That's right. And I also kind of like that the continuity of this movie is, like, folding in on itself in that they're like, Halloween exists, but it's a movie. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, oh, that's fun. Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night series did that. Oh, yeah. And I believe, I haven't seen the sequels, but I think the Human Centipede series does that. That's right. I have seen the sequels. (laughs) And uh, I've always wanted to, I don't, that kind of horror doesn't always appeal to me so much because I like it when there's more of a story or reasoning behind something horrible happening. But I think it's cool that it's like, the second one is a guy loved the first movie, so he did it. And the third one is this, same thing or the director is actually involved right basically so what happens is the first one happens then the second one a guy is like oh this is a movie and i love this movie and then in the third one that is also a movie and somebody says this movie is crap but the idea is good and this is how we're gonna solve overpopulation in jail wow okay i should maybe watch them just because I mean, and that guy, there's another, you want to talk about an auteur, was it Tom, Tom Six? Six? Yeah. So, like, he, like, what else, has he even done much else? He just He really has a movie to... that he can't get released, the Onania oh. Club, apparently. Uh, he says it's too controversial. What's it which called? Which, if, the Onania Club. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, if, if he felt that, that he could get the Human Centipede movies published and not that, I can only imagine uh, how controversial it is. Um, oh, but, Onania is... Masturbation as a heinous sin? Oh. Onini is a pamphlet opposing masturbation thought to be published around 1712 or 1716. Mm. Okay, sweet. Someone (laughs) give that guy money, because what the fuck is that? (laughs) Yeah, I have no idea. It sounds, I mean, I genuinely would just like to see what else this guy can do, because even 
so I, I think for me, Human Centipede 2 is the best one because okay. Human Centipede 1 is like honestly kind of restrained for the concept. Right. They, and they just kind of introduce the concept and they peace out. Right. And the second one is very clearly like, oh, everyone treated the first one like it was this insane exploitation movie. So I might as well make that movie if everyone's right. Uh, and so two is as rough as people treated one. Ah, okay. And then three is a straight up comedy. <laughs> that's awesome. So yeah, see, see, because that's the thing is like the actual thing of putting the people together and all that stuff yeah. is like okay, that's kind of gross just to be gross. I don't know. Yeah. But everything else around it is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So. And as I said about Michael Bay, Tom Six is another guy. It's like, he just really wants to make these movies about sewing people's faces to other people's buttholes. And uh, God bless him, you know? Outsider uh, art, baby. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> uh, let's see. Welcome to my brain. What <laughs> Tom, he's in this bar. He's approached yes. by Ellie, who says, the nurses said I could find you here. Which is grim. <laughs> Yeah, uh, okay, so in that documentary for a second, Tom Atkins is like, what kind of doctor am I? I show up with the kids, I give them these bad masks that I'm drinking, I leave, then I buy a six-pack and take off with some chick and drive up north? (laughs) That's how he describes it. It's like, yeah. That is exactly what he does. Yeah. Tommy talked in the documentary about having a dentist who was supposed to perform wisdom teeth extraction, and then he smelled whiskey on his breath. So that's where this comes from. That's so funny. She asks if her dad said anything, and I do like that he initially tries to be like, oh, he said that he loves you, he's trying to be comforting, and she's like, come on. (laughs) And he immediately pivots the complete opposite way, goes all in, he said they're all gonna kill us, and then he was dead, babe. Yeah, I like he doesn't, he, well, it's like, in, in a way, it's like he's being respectful to the woman by just being like, okay, I tried to lie once, I'm not gonna fucking blow any more smoke up your ass. Yeah. Here's what happened. Because she figured it out very quickly. She had a very clinical, uh, almost calculator-like brain, you could Mm, say. Yeah, Hmm. you might say that. (laughs) Um, They head to Dad's little corner store. He sells all kinds of stuff, including a lot of toys, and especially including the silver shamrock masks. But she says business was bad thanks to a new mall in town. Oh, another reference to corporate bullshit. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They go through his calendar, and Ellie theorizes the day marked picking up more masks is when he disappeared, not only suspicious concerning the death grip that he had on the old pumpkin mask, but also another sign of how widespread the masks are that even this failing business was having to restock them. Yeah, interesting. She wants the Chalice's help to figure out what happened, though she doesn't say it, just giving him a look before this incredible comedy cut to him on the phone with his ex-wife again, lying about a doctor's conference so that he can bail on his kids to hang out with this young babe. Ugh. It's so great. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It's like, uh, listen, uh, I'm a single dad. Now, I have not, I, I've never been in the position his character is in in this movie where I have to fight for time. I, I've, I've got custody, whatever. I see my kid all the time. But there are still times when you have to go do something, and so you can't be around your kid and explain it to the other person. You always feel like uh, an asshole, like you're committing a crime, especially 
in his case, and sometimes in mine, where the person yeah. is taking the opportunity to make you feel like a shithead mm-hmm. for not being there. And so I've been in that situation where you're trying to explain what you're doing or even coming up with, like, I've never lied, but just explain what you're doing. Someone's like, oh, really? It's like, I got to yeah. go on a tour and do stand-up uh, with a bunch of cool people <laughs> for three days or whatever, <laughs> you know? So, oh, you know, it's like... So I, I definitely get that situation of having to, to explain on the phone, like, ah, you know, it's, so it's yeah. just so funny to me, especially yeah. the later conversation. But this one, <laughs> uh, before they take off, is just so funny because he's he's got the a sixer of beer <laughs> on the payphone. He's ready to party. And he's just like, yeah, I go. And like in the back, the shot is so perfect because it starts with he walks up with a beer and he's on the phone. And he's talking to her. And then in the background, you have the hot babies about to run off with get into the car while he's saying, like, oh, yeah, it's going to be boring. All these doctors talk about who, who, who knows what. I just got to go do it. And it's so funny because he just made this plan with her the night before that I'll get the kids. And now suddenly there's this conference. <laughs> it's like, dude, no one's going to buy your horse shit. I didn't even think about that. You're so right. <laughs> he's, like, lying to her. Yeah. And it's not, he's not even trying. And it's so funny because, to me, like, thinking about it in retrospect, it's very – it kind of – feeds more into him being an alcoholic where it's like he's just and even alcohol alcoholism or even a lot of other problems or he's just going into the patterns even when he knows it doesn't work yeah like i have a problem like eating like binge eating at night and i'll still fucking do like i'll go and buy snacks and i still know what i'm gonna you know what i mean so it's like almost like he's just he's like i'm gonna lie to her i know it's not even gonna work but this is what i this is what i do you know for sure. And you kind of almost wonder how many other times this guy got and blitzed and ran off with some hot lady he met. Because he's Tom Atkins, and as we were discussing earlier, women are just completely uh, victim to his powers. Uh, they exactly. can't. They I mean, can't we see that he clearly had a, a thing with the lab tech as well. Yes, yep. And he and the nurse, uh, I don't know. The nurse is yes. older, but uh, she was into it. <laughs> this also, this. This was purposely filmed at the same location that they shot the loading and unloading of the pods in the original Body Snatchers movie. Oh, interesting. Because, like, when stuff starts taking off. Exactly. Interesting. They drive off, the camera pans to the TVs in the window, repeating the refrain once again, only now it's starting to feel kind of ominous. It's this ticking clock. Three more days till Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Mm Mm-hmm. The factory seems to be in the middle of nowhere. It's an Irish company town named Santa Mira, full of unfriendly eyes watching them roll in, which Tommy said is actually what it feels like driving into Lolita, which is where it's shot. Mm-hmm. But the prying eyes aren't limited to people's faces because it also has all kinds of video surveillance. Yeah. They bunk down at this combo motel slash gas station. They're posing as a husband and wife. And while the manager shows Ellie the room, Dan sneaks off to check the register where he does find her dad's name. Um, and Dan O'Hurley, as as Mr. Cochran, rolls past, scoping things out himself. A great man, Connell Cochran. A true genius. Yeah, does that guy, that guy does own the hotel, right? I think okay. so, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's right, okay. Because at first it seems like, is he just around? He's just there to let people know about Cochran. He just goes up to some girl like, hey, this guy's so great. <laughs> he's the hype man. He rolls yeah. up ahead of time everywhere. He's the flavor flavor. But he's the he's the Irish small town version of flavor flavor. So he's got a sweater and he's bald like he has glasses and he looks very friendly. That's right. <laughs> the uh the atmosphere is shattered by an RV crewed by Buddy and his family and a pissed off woman whose order was screwed up at the factory delaying her trip home. Uh very funny to me that both cars almost hit Chalice. Yeah. Uh, also yeah. little Buddy is now a rabbi. Good for him. <laughs> What? 
the guy, the kid who plays little buddy is now a rabbi. Oh, really? <laughs> ah, so, well, uh, shalom, right? That's is that right. A... That, yeah. Hey, right. That's, that's hello and, uh, and goodbye. Classic go. uh, Hawaii style. Very good. Uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Both. Yeah. Both cars almost hit him. And I like, he's not pissed about it. He's just, it's like, he's, he's used to drunk the... as fuck. He doesn't. Yeah. Know. I was going to say, he's like, he's living in this world where everyone's kind of a fucking slob. Like he is. <laughs> And I lo- okay, so yes, then they come up and he, they meet him, and when he goes back in his room, what he tells Ellie is just great. This place is a circus. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny, man. It really and, is. Atkins, like, man, I mean that, and I, you know, I, and I know they wanted him for that, and so it was like kind of uh, from from the word go, it was going to be him, but like he just br- like you can't imagine with another actor, anyways. It's like he mm-hmm. just brings this kind of sense of that to it and uh, you know the other other horror films when he shows up it's like you know yeah uh, every every time he shows up he has just the that charm and and the, his deliveries are also are always like so tom atkins they are, yeah. are so unique and could really only be done by him it's yeah. he just has it he has it, all, it yeah he does and it always fits what's the world of the movie that he's into you mm-hmm. know it never feels weird it's just like this is what this guy would be doing in this universe, you know? That's right. So it makes sense. Six o'clock, curfew. Apparently, that's Jamie Lee Curtis's voice on the PA system. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all residents clear the street, including a cute little cat. I like that they have this little shot of them getting scooped up. <laughs> yeah. Like some of the, don't leave the kitty outside. <laughs> but, but, but the thing is, is like minutes later, you understand like, oh, yeah, someone would kill that cat. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, that cat would be endangered. Dan goes to get a bottle of booze. He trades some to a transient gentleman for some information on Cochran. Uh, he brought in everyone who works at the factory from outside, drying up any life in the town besides that which he controls. And this guy is planning to burn down the factory. Yeah. Last Halloween! You know what I wrote down? I wrote down, uh, Anarchist Hobo would have also been a good main character. Yeah, I would like, watch his planning. What if, they, what if the movie decided to do a left turn right there? Where they meet, and then Atkins' character, like, gets killed, and the hobo guy's like, I have to avenge him. He was a nice guy. He gave me some whiskey, you there know? You go. I would definitely watch that. Or, <laughs> yeah. hey, maybe he teams up with him. He says, you're right, oh. transient gentleman. We should take down this factory together. That would be great. <laughs> oh, dude. Tom Atkins and some, like, drunk guy from the alley just, like, constantly before... passing back the bottle. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, you got to shoot it very procedurally. So first you see them drinking a whole bunch of beer so they have empty <laughs> bottles. That's and then right. they're just, like, stealing gas from somewhere, putting it in there, the styrofoam in the bottom and everything. Cause, uh, that, yeah, that is how you do it. Anyways, so, and you put it... <laughs> kind of makes homeschool napalm whatever so you yeah. put a rag in you light it up and yeah so anyways just the whole process of the, and they're just like go in there completely fucking hammered that'd be a great movie there's <laughs> it would have been a smash hit <laughs> totally that's the problem instead yeah. of this instead of this like, attractive young actress you should have had another <laughs> old man with Tom Atkins. <laughs> just like fucking getting loaded yeah everyone would have loved it <laughs> I also do think it is interesting that it creates this tension where if we've established that uh, Margie is Deborah Hill complaining about the quality and and the little guy having to wait in line, Mm -hmm. this guy basically is a stand-in for Carpenter who is bitter about their treatment and he wants to Molotov the franchise into oblivion, basically. Sure, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And Atkins, who would be in this situation, Tom Lee Wallace, is like, yeah, I see your point. I still got to go do this, though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
I got to keep making this movie. Yeah. And uh, to that point, Tommy talks about growing up in a university town that he said felt very similar to this. And it does feel ominous to have that much power invested into a business insidiously gobbling up houses and turning them into parking lots and stuff. Yeah, you know, there's a uh, there's a school right by near me that does that. That's fine because the school's good. But there's a hospital on the other end of town here that does that. Mm-hmm. It's just slowly eating the other blocks around it. And, you know, it's good to have a hospital, but also it's like, you know, uh, in this country, the healthcare system, it's hard to view anything they do as uh, uh, magnanimous. Right. Who's going to have access to it? Right? Yeah. Like, you know, so it's like, eh, you know. Yeah. But uh, definitely, I definitely get that. So I haven't been in the small town situation myself. So, yeah. Uh, he correctly assumes that Cochran is listening, and as he stumbles off, is accosted by two more suited goons that casually rip his head off his neck. That is Dick Warlock there who rips him off. Oh, and okay. It's, it's a particularly wonderful effect when the yes. blood geezers out as yeah. the body collapses. Because the, the thing that's cool about it, and listen, I, I love a lot of martial arts films, and I love Kill Bill, so I like in those movies when the blood immediately comes out. But mm-hmm. what I like in Halloween 3, they rip his head off, and it takes a few seconds, and then it starts spurting out. You know, mm-hmm. like, I love mm-hmm. that. Very cool. Uh, Ellie also meets Margie Gutman, the woman whose order got delayed. She's, like I said, played by Tom's wife at the time, Garn. And mm-hmm. I cracked up when she's like, oh, this logo came right off the mask after my kids smashed it against the wall. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well. <laughs> That's what happens, Garn. Yeah. It's like, what did you expect? Oh, he only stomped on it a few times. Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> they don't make it like they used to, I guess. You know what, though? That is maybe that you can even see that as another uh, point in this all this uh, uh, commentary about uh, corporate stuff because people are all consumers are also the problem. And mm-hmm. consumers often feel like they should just be able to do whatever they want and be like, I can't believe this product didn't work after I did what I'm not supposed to do with it. And that's sure. why that's why every product you buy has 14 million fucking instructions on it because <laughs> uh, they have to waiver their responsibility because yeah. you buy, like, frozen cookie dough and it says, do not, co- like, cook before consuming. It's like, what <laughs> dumb piece of shit ate this frozen hockey puck R2-D2 dough cookie? Cracked you know, a like, tooth and then got pissed about yeah, it. Yeah, they're like, well, you didn't tell me I couldn't. You know, God. <laughs> Fucking pieces of whatever. Anyways, but, <laughs> and I'm sure it wasn't that, but it, like it can kind of tie into that. You know? For sure, for sure. Dan checks in with the lab tech that he has to take a look at the corpse. She lets him know that someone mixed up the evidence and they've got no clue who the killer was, just a bunch of plastic and metal shavings. Hmm. That's strange. Hmm. This subplot was actually extra shooting after the movie was done. They had shot the half of the conversations from Tom, but he said that it wasn't coming to life. They needed a little extra juice. So they shot the other side, got one more body for the for the count. I think it totally fits in. You never know. It totally does. And I think all they had, that actress has a great job with what she has. And I think all they told her was, you're talking to, uh, you're talking to a character played by Tom Atkins. She's like, oh, all right, I'll flirt with him. Because <laughs> it's, it's just the Atkins magic. That's right. <laughs> he heads back to his room where, speaking of the Atkins magic, he and Ellie sleep together. Right. <laughs> then he checks to make sure she's of age. Yeah! <laughs> Hey, since I just, uh, you know I didn't pull out, right? So what's your age? (laughs) Hope you're ready to make some stepkids. Yeah. (laughs) They're going to, this kid will have some stepbrothers and sisters for at least two more days. He's not getting the silver shamrock mask, though, I tell you that. (laughs) We're leaving for this hotel room until I find out what's happening. 
there's a great time skip also establishing shot of the motel with the factory looming in the background behind it. I just thought it looked really great. Margie finds a microchip in the logo. She tries to pop it out with a hairpin and gets zapped in the face by a light that just absolutely massacres her. Yeah, it's, uh, and so now we can talk about one of the things that I love about this movie and that I've been finding over the last year is a theme in movies, especially around this era for some reason. But so she gets a laser in her mouth and you just see her, like it starts to glow in her mouth a little bit and then it cuts away. And then when you see later the aftermath, her, like we were saying earlier, her lips have been blown apart from the out, from the inside. It looks so great. And there's been bugs. Bugs came out of her. Mm Mm-hmm. And the connection in horror movies between witchcraft and bugs appearing is something I've just recently really been discovering, and I love it. That's uh, good stuff. Silent Night, Deadly Night 4. Oh, yeah, baby. That Yuzna, Yuzna classic. Hey, if you know yeah. Yuzna's in the, in the mix, there's going to be bugs. Yeah, he that guy <laughs> loves bugs. And then what's uh, there's a couple other movies recently where it's like, man, these guys fucking love bugs. Uh, well, Twin Peaks has some bug stuff. Um, I haven't bugs. watched a lot of I Twin Peaks. I think that... Gretel and Hansel movie that Oz Perkins did uh, oh, did had some bugs in it. I think God, that was a pretty, pretty recently fun movie. I watched. I've always wanted to see Han- Gretel and Hansel. Is it good? Yeah, it's not bad. It's it's kind of uh, this is going to probably sound meaner than I intended to, but it's kind of like baby's first art house horror kind of thing where it's like not too intense, sure, but gets that kind of a twenty four vibe that people are looking for. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I liked it. I had a good time with it. I think it's on Shutter or something. I've been meaning to watch it. So or Worth a watch, I would say, for sure. Especially if you have access to it like that. Mm-hmm. Who's, who says no? First of all, the way the suddenness with which this death happens is pretty startling. But yes. she also then pulls her hands away to reveal the grotesque effect. And it is grotesque. And then the bugs crawl out of her mouth. That's the trifecta. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, because you don't see this. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wait, she's still a little bit alive when we see her mouth all blown out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Ooh. Gross. Yeah. There's. It's always, you know, and that's clever horror filmmaking where it's like, she's not, like, ha- somebody dying is like, okay, they're dead now. They uh-huh. can't, nothing else can happen to them. But when something like that's happened to them and they're still alive, it's like, but that's way worse. Yeah. yeah, you're immediately like, oh my god, the suffering must be oh, outrageous. The uh, you, your nerves must be completely exploded. From yeah, pain. you know it's crazy. Yeah, I love it. The corpse does get removed in the night, though Ellie and Dan are woken up by the noise and try to get out there before the evidence is gone. But the quote unquote doctors whisk her away, and Mister Cochran is in charge of the patient. Of course, there's a marvelous yeah. facility at the factory for emergency treatment. <laughs> More like for building damn robots. Yeah. Oh, Prince of Darkness. That's another uh, Bugs magic. Oh, yeah. There you go. Anyways. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. They take. They have the ambulance. It pretty much looks just like a 16 pass with the seats <laughs> taken out for Silver Shamrock, and they put her in it. And uh, what I love is, like, Atkins, like, they're kind of like, so So he and Ellie are in bed. They're not really asleep. They're listening to the radio and just kind of, she's like kind of muttering to him or kind of lightly kissing, whatever. Just mm-hmm. just can't control herself for on time. And, uh, <laughs> so they're just like, and then he's like, what the hell is that? And he gets up and you see his ass. And I, I didn't pause it, but I'm like, I bet you see a little bit of his dick. It's like, he gets up naked. I mean, you know what? Sure. He was, he was 47 when he made this movie. Wow. 
I'm 42. I'm not showing my ass in a movie. <laughs> I mean, we've done, you know, Whitest Kids. I don't think I ever showed my ass. Everybody has done, uh, you know, uh, scantily clad scenes, or some of us had to do nudity. But, like, when you get older, you're like, I'm not going to do that anymore. But <laughs> I'm too old for this. 47. I think he probably has a very good opinion of his sexuality, mm. of his uh, appeal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Here's what I'll say. More like Askins. <laughs> but, yeah, so you see his little butt. And, yeah. uh... <laughs> shape you know yeah for sure for sure anyways the next day he calls back to the lab tech she says there's nothing there to indicate there was a body at all just car parts and ash so she thinks that someone is tampering with it he asks her to look into cochran as well and the camera pans down to reveal that the phone is bugged which is not only a fun reveal that they're on to him but i also really enjoy the way that it feels like a neat modernization you know we talked about how witchcraft and the computer age here there are bugs and there are bugs They have both kind of bugs. Yeah. didn't even think of that. Very good. They inquire about Ellie's father. They say he did pick up the order on the 21st. And on their way out, Buddy and his family are greeted by Connell, who loudly exclaims that they sold more silver shamrock masks by far than anyone in the country. An ironic and pyrrhic victory, to be sure. Right. (laughs) And, I mean, this guy has a... who's I haven't even seen all the movies, but the... uh, National Lampoon's Vacation movies. Who's the uncle everybody likes? Uh, Randy? Is it Randy? Well, that's the actor. Isn't it oh, Randy yeah. Quaid? It's Randy Quaid. You're right. What, no, fucking... it's not Randy Quaid. Yeah, it is no, Randy Quaid. Okay. It is Randy Quaid. It's Randy Quaid. Ooh, uh, what the hell cousin? is that cousin's name? Yeah. I gotta look it up. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> uh, Lampoon, Randy Quaid. Cousin Eddie. Eddie, cousin of course. Eddie. So... And uh, anyways, okay, so the, the toy shop owner, the people in the RV, uh, Cousin Eddie vibes, right? Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Yeah, a, a well-meaning goofball, but uh, probably wouldn't want to hang around him too much. No, I think his son... Uh, flips yeah, him off at one point, really. Huh? <laughs> his son flips him off at one point, right, which really yeah, makes me like... I that was a good family dynamic. <laughs> Although he, like, okay, so when he introduces his wife to Tom Atkins... It's like, and this is before where we're at down in the plot, but like earlier when they showed up, he introduced his wife. He's like, this is my wife. Eh? He's like, kind of <laughs> showed her off. You know what I'm saying? He's like, hey, whatever her name is, Bonnie or whatever. It's my wife, Bonnie. You know? Yeah. He's like, check out this babe. You know? <laughs> Tommy <very> like. <laughs> Which it's like, you know, and that's sweet, but also it's almost like he's just kind of using her as like a car or a cool motorcycle, sure. you know? Sure. But, yeah. But uh, it's, uh, it's funny. I don't know. Yeah. Connell then turns his attention to Mr. Smith, in quotes, which is Tom Atkins, of course, a great cover. <laughs> and he says, what? And your last, and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And, he, and Connell goes, oh, Smith, of course. Like, he's a, like he already knows it's bullshit, and he's yeah. just, he, but he's just like playing. Just like, like his yeah, wife. Great last name. Wow. Yeah. Yes. You know what? The continuing problem of him not being able to lie very well. That's, That's right. Interesting. Connell offers to invite the, or for them to come on this tour that they're about to go on, which Ellie accepts because she's still trying to figure out what happened to her dad. And it does seem normal. Uh, Connell gives Buddy Jr. a mask at his request, although not the exact one that he grabs because it hasn't been through, quote, final processing yet. Mm. Here, put on this one with the logo in place. And uh, though things seem very casual, Dan notices all the men watching them and says, Wow, these look exactly like the father killer. Time to leave. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And as they do, Ellie notices her father's car. So big, big swerve happening here. Mm -hmm. 
I also love Cochran's glower after he waves waves it off to Buddy as trade secrets. Like he does a great job of this. Like uh, there's that phrase like Irish smile. I think right where yes. it's uh, like a, a, a faux friendliness, and yeah. uh, I think that he really knocks that out of the park in this. Yeah, he's so good at this role. And then when you find out more about it, it's, it only makes him more perfect. But you know, as the story moves on. But yeah, he's you know, and uh, Hurley he has played that character a lot, but. Sometimes that character's bad, sometimes that character's good, but um, he's really good at that kind of uh, nice but calculating, powerful person, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, They're freaked out, so Dan is going to call the cops while she packs for them to leave. The phone isn't working, though, and the commercial warns him, one more day till Halloween. He returns to the room, and Ellie is missing now, but a scary team of the goons are standing outside, and they pursue... Yes, oh, it's great. And they pursue Chalice as he flees. He also sees them bring Ellie into the factory, but when he tries to call for help again, even the payphones aren't working. Mm. My man is getting his quarters swallowed. He is. He's, uh, this guy, uh, he doesn't win at all. He got to (laughs) sleep with the pretty girl, but besides that, doesn't win at all. No, definitely not. He breaks into the factory. He discovers a horrific knitting automaton. (laughs) (laughs) this thing this is the most grotesque monster of all it's so crazy and then and then colin's uh explanation of it a a little bit after is so fucking insane (laughs) oh it's a crazy crazy german thing but it's so funny that he like mistakes her for a real person and then shakes her head off while demanding to know where the girl is he's shaking her when he thinks she's really listen you old god (laughs) it's like she's like if she's real she's like 80 years old yeah and, and she's got there, needles like, there why well, you gotta watch out yeah like tell me old Leslie old Betty tell me what's going on he's like what were you what was your plan here he was playing a 1950s cop in that moment yeah he's just like somebody's in a Mickey Spillane novel like listen you squint don't make me put my hands on you you know <laughs> This reveals a guard who attacks him because obviously that he's making a ton of noise now. Yeah. <laughs> and the punches to the face of this guard do nothing. It's not until Dan literally punches into his guts that anything happens, uh, including gurgling up some yellow blood, which Dan's hand is covered in as well, having ripped out some wires. Hmm? <laughs> uh, what I like about these automatons, whatever, is that their stomachs are soft. Their, their heads are very hard. Foolish. Their stomachs are just a fucking like mesh nylon. Something. Very foolish, Cochran. You gotta get the <laughs> the metal everywhere. Yeah, give him some fucking nine packs of silver abs. Yeah, and uh, here's something else. This was Dick Warlock, so technically our hero did fight Michael Myers after all. Hey, all right. There you go. Fuck you, Hollywood. <laughs> More guards take him into custody, and Connell is pissed about the horrific automaton head having come off. He said, I had it shipped here from Germany at great expense. Yes, and he says it's from like the 1700s or yeah. something. That's right. What? He's an old, old man. Right. <laughs> but also, what's weird is like, so that someone four, 300 years ago made a, a knitting robot, you know? Yeah, who knows? But- who knows? It's like the Le Marchand configuration. <laughs> Yeah, you know, who knows? Uh, and plus, uh, given what we find out about his uh, his history, well, it probably wasn't just uh, a regular person making that automaton. Very true, very true. 
It's now Halloween morning. The Robo Guards take Connell and Dan to a secret lab where some scientists are mixing ancient and modern technology again, using tiny particles of Stonehenge, which they've stolen, to create a bioweapon attached to every mask. It's so cool. It's so weird. And I wrote a note here. I said, after we've already seen bug lasers and robot men, the filmmakers clearly felt they did not have to say how the Henge was stolen from Stonehenge. Because at this point, belief has been fully suspended. We're on board. Yeah. You know. He goes, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. So why? I'm fucking yeah. going to. <laughs> and Tommy Atkins probably be like, I'd believe you just out of sympathy because no one ever believes me about anything. <laughs> But I also wrote here, so the filmmakers are like, yeah, we don't need to explain that to them. And then just trust us on the cities. Because when they yeah. show all the different cities about five minutes from now, it's like, yeah. this is all clearly the same California neighborhood where you shot Halloween. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, oh, really? New York and Baton Rouge and Dayton, Ohio all look exactly the same? <laughs> and it all starts at 9 p.m. PST? <laughs> You're right. Oh, my God. That's so funny. It is, though, the perfect time for a demonstration. Buddy and his family are taken to a facsimile living room where the Silver Shamrock ad plays, beaming a signal that interacts with the mask that Buddy Jr. is wearing, turning his head into a pile of bugs and snakes that bite and kill the parents. And, I mean, it's, first of all, just an incredible scene, but also if you take the commentary back into consideration, you can see that Buddy's loyalty to the corporate machine wasn't rewarded with any returned loyalty. He was just more, more... gristle for the yes i also gris for the mill i think that's the yes gris for the mill yeah yeah there's no (laughs) there's no path and and you know that's a great metaphor of it but it also is literally stated right before that because when he asked earlier on the tour when he asked like can i see the uh was it special or final processing can i see it no you can't and it's like what about the 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 number one salesman huh (laughs) can i see it because i'm the number one salesman you said that like and you're like no so, you know, like, they bestowed the special thing on him, but, d- like, they, then they tell shit. him minutes later, doesn't mean shit, fuck you, we're more important yeah. than you, you know? It's kind of great, because that's what it's like, you know? It's yeah, like, yeah. they don't really care about you, you know? That's right, they love you till they don't need you anymore. And what I thought was interesting about this part, that they that we've seen the bugs thing happen a few times at this point, mm-hmm. but what I thought was interesting here was that the bugs and snakes are, like, evil. Yeah. <laughs> You know, truly, it, yeah. The snakes come after the guy and kill the dad. You know, and it's a rattlesnake. <laughs> it's it's great stuff. It's great stuff. It's so weird. Also, the flashing pumpkin that caused this effect does make you think back to the opening of this one, where you're like, oh, were they building that trigger? Is that like in yeah. a way killing the audience of the original? There to see more of the same. Um, it just it, it all. This is a movie that I love. Like just looking back at and being like. Even if this isn't actually connected, I love the way that it feels like maybe it could be. Right. You know, and and also, and with any movie, but with this movie particularly, whether there seems to be a lot of layers, a lot of different things you can glean from it. Some of them are intentional, some of them weren't. Yeah. You know, and I think that's all, that always makes something the best is because uh, the uh, situation, however they were making the movie just ended up creating other things that were unintentional, but but that maybe all tie into these different themes we're talking about, you know? Um, Absolutely. But Uh, the uh, tune, the tune gets faster and faster as well as Dan uh realizes what this means for the outside. It says, don't forget to gather around the TV with your mask for the great big giveaway at nine o'clock kids. 
although we did sort of make fun of it a little bit, the shots of these kids all wearing their masks around the country is incredible. Yeah. Especially, you know, you go from Dan's two kids sitting in front of the TV contentedly, so you reestablish the stakes for him, Mm -hmm. and then you get the kids following, like, a skull-faced leader up a hill in L.A., which reminds me a lot of the Seventh Seal and following death up the uh, sure. up the hill there, mm-hmm. and then back down in the the hill in Phoenix as the sun sets and you get this gorgeous ominous sunset as uh, it gets closer and closer. Just yeah. a really fantastic montage. Yeah, it's uh, and it's scary because, like you said, it starts with Dan's kids, but then it's like, oh, it's everybody's kids everywhere. Yeah. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. holy shit, like that's scary, you know, and yeah. killing kids, you know, in in a horror movie, it's you, you got to do it right. <laughs> I know it sounds For fucked sure. up, but like kids and pets, but kids, especially like even some of those hardcore horror movies aren't going to kill a kid. Right. You know, I mean, I always talk about Fulci when it comes to hardcore just because he loves gore so much. But the kids, well, he's got a couple dead kids in his uh, past as well, I yeah, guess. I think Bob, Bob might have gotten bit in cemetery, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cemetery. Well, and I think, but, yeah. But he was, he was so annoying that you're like, I'm glad that this kid is dead. Right, yeah. And who, who's the girl? Isn't there one of them? There's a girl whose parents get killed and they're at the cemetery. Or is that the, the, the boy? Are you, is that, is that, that, might, that might be the beyond. That That's in the like beyond. Like, and then, like, yeah. what's funny about that scene is the people just leave and the girl's just there. <laughs> <laughs> like, isn't someone taking care of Anyways, but so, uh, you know, killing kids is, I mean, that's still somewhat taboo, you know? Yeah. Because it's sure. a, it's kind of fucked up to kill a kid, you know. Yeah. And the, the way this kid dies in this movie, <laughs> or that kid, uh, when Buddy, whoo, man, it's grim. It's grim. Yeah. I mean, and, and we've seen it happen to adults. We've seen it happen to this kid. Every time, it's it's effective. Yeah. Back at the hospital, the lab tech tries to get in touch with Dan at the motel in Kent. So she calls someone else to come look at a part she found in the fire, saying it's not from a car at all. So where did it come from? And as she does. The door opens up to reveal a goon in the shadows coming to drill her in the head. One more loose end tied up. And it's a really great shot as it just lingers on her lying on the floor there. Very simple action, but very well done. Uh, Yes. I had a note about this particular kill because now uh, it's just wrote the drill. The robots, this robot man gets a drill. So are the robots finally realizing that squishing heads isn't very discreet? And maybe you should at least kill her in a way that another a regular human could have killed her this way too. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, let's that drill her face robot. so that maybe we could at least uh, uh, have other people in the suspect lineup with us. <laughs> that first robot got a real talking to when he got back to the factory. <laughs> you just pulled his face apart. And the second guys are like, okay, pulling his head off, sure, but still a little much. Could you just choke him? Just choke a guy. God. It would be so easy for you, robot. Just squeeze and dead. <laughs> Boom. It doesn't look that weird. Instead, yeah. you're breaking skulls. What the fuck's the matter with you guys? <laughs> the APB explicitly says, we're on the look for a robot. who's <laughs> crushing people's heads. Yeah. <laughs> That's you, robot. You did this to us. And now- you know what? He is disappointed in one of them, right? <laughs> Yeah. After he Atkins does get beats mad. that one, he's yeah. like, eh, what does he say about him? He's like, sloppy, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> or careless, something like that. It's like, yeah, something to that effect. Uh, it's like, very these are funny. basically your children, Codlin. Come on. That's right. It's 7.30 now. 90 minutes remain. One last great establishing shot of the factory. And Dan is tied up inside. Enjoy the horror-thon, Connell tells, tells him, which is concluding with the original Halloween. And Cochran 
gleefully warns Dan not to forget to watch the big giveaway before putting a mask on him to kill him with panache. You can't just shoot a guy like this, bro. That's how you right. stay a jobber instead of becoming a supervillain. Right. You have to. <laughs> and this is when he explains the plot, too, right? That's explains right. He his, says his plan. He says, well, Dan, it would be enough just to be fooling, just to be pulling a funny joke on the kids. <laughs> Which... <laughs> so fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Wait, but that that's after he explains the old traditions of killing the kids, though, right? Uh, no, I th- so I think he says it would be enough to be a funny joke, but you're and you're right about that. But there's right. more. It's a ritual sacrifice for Sawin, baby. Right. Uh, the planets are aligned and demanding that the hills run red with animal and child blood once again. Yeah. So fucking badass. And, you know, uh, on the last Whitest Kids uh, stream we did, Self Suck Saturday, we just talked about Sawain and how to pronounce it. There you go. Because it looks like Coming Sam in Hain. handy. It sure yeah. does. <laughs> That's a classic. You, if you've never heard it said out loud, you're like, I bet I know how to say this. Do you think Danzig <laughs> knows how to say it? I bet he doesn't. <laughs> Boy, that really could go either way, huh? Because, <laughs> like, you know he likes this kind of shit, but he's also, like, kind of a fucking meathead. <laughs> yeah, I bet he doesn't, and everyone's afraid to tell him otherwise. Yeah, I'm never going to tell him. The guy's like fucking Wolverine, you know? Like, uh, yeah, Glenn. <laughs> Sure, Hine. Sam Hine. <laughs> Can't wait. But whatever. <laughs> and and then when he leaves, oh, and happy Halloween. Ooh, you so know that's in the trailers, baby. Fucking good. Is it in the trailers? <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. That oh be. yeah. So good. That's like that's like you know that like uh, uh, Hill and like Tommy Wallace and all those people and they're shooting it and he says that they get that shot and they're like. That's where our fucking money That's went, baby. Money That's the shot, cheddar baby. cheese. That's why we paid for all her lady, you know? <laughs> Fuck. Definitely, definitely. He kills it, pun intended. <laughs> and Dan kicks out the TV. Again, perhaps more commentary on their opinion of how Universal was using the original mm. uh, to be destroying it there on the TV. Also, do you think it's that easy to kick a TV with no. your boot from a t- chair you're tied in? Because I was thinking about that. The TV's on a little cart. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you have to get some leverage against the back of it to really get the to break. So it's like, how the fuck do you do that? But again, Atkins. It's it's the Atkins magic, <laughs> and so quickly they move on to a new superpowered thing that he does. In that he cuts his hands free and takes off the mask, and then does a sick toss onto the camera. It's so funny that you're like, I okay, we're do- I don't even care about breaking the TV and possibly anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about this mask throw that happens. <laughs> yeah. but he's, he hardly looks. He's just like, <laughs> you know, just like perfectly lands. It so sure that does. so that the shot they look at is great. You know, it lines up the eyes on the camera lens, so when the bad guys see the monitor feed. It Ooh. looks like they're looking through a mask. That's right. Again, another callback to the original in that he, uh, yeah. in the way that Michael. Those opening shots. Those great shots. So, yeah, good point. Hadn't thought of that. He escapes through the vent, and it's very funny that this, like, robo-goon is waiting patiently to tell Cochran the whole time, but his, like, loyalty program won't let him interrupt Connell's yeah. phone call. That's so funny. The villain hubris, you know, between the flare kill and this, it's really facilitating <laughs> Atkins' escape. Right. You know what? I just put this together, so... Then year, about six years after this movie, Dan O'Hurley will play a character who, who helps a robot overcome its loyalty programming to save the day. Because that's wow. how RoboCop ends. That's, it certainly is. You're fired. <laughs> you should have been trying to fire people this yeah. whole time. 
would have made a lot more sense. Fire the robots again. Okay, good. Thank you. Okay, the guy's fucking get out. He's like, right, get out. Oh. Yeah. And so he's like, "Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir." That's and and we get this beautiful moment where he once again calls his ex-wife to try and convince her to throw away the mask. I wrote notes on this one. Uh huh. She says, "You deadbeat. You're drunk again after bailing on the kids again. Go to hell." And he just, Linda, shut up. Linda, shut up. Shut up, Linda. Linda, shut up. And he just. It's just so like, cause you see, like, this is why their marriage didn't work. They can't mm-hmm. communicate very well, and he keeps failing the kids, and he can't talk to her about it, and she can't control her anger to have a discussion with him. And that's it's all understandable on everybody's part. He's an alcoholic, she's very flustered, we get it. But like mm-hmm. now there's this situation that like he can't fuck he's so bad at being uh, at talking to her. And he's just so bad at interpersonal relationships in general yeah. <laughs> that he just, he's like, can't do it. Yeah. And it's like the, the most important, this is the most important phone conversation that he has in his whole life. <laughs> yeah. He's trying to save his children's lives. Right. And he can't fucking do He's like, that. Ah, just shut up. And so I, I, we've all been there, especially me, like, you know, coming from a, a background of someone who's divorced and stuff like you have these conversations where it's something important and the person you have to converse with is the one person who is the best at like fucking destroying you yeah. you know because that's like gonna interpret it the least favorably or least yeah and they're gonna just shred you and always have the wall up and never let you explain and my ex-wife and i do have times when we get along but a lot of times it's like if there's any resistance, it's just it's going to be so difficult. And so it's it's so interesting. It's like it's kind of realistic where yeah. she's like not putting up with his bullshit anymore when he's trying to prevent her from having to watch the, their children die in an explosion of head snakes. <laughs> and like, like literally you just said it like that. <laughs> it's like, Linda, shut up, Linda. Head snakes. Good God. <laughs> But, it's a uh, classic head snake situation. But yeah, that we prepared that, for this. Yeah, he's like, come on. And she's like, okay, I'll go get the head snake kit. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, it's just the, the phone conversation is just beautiful. It it's, really is. It's perfect. And then she hangs up on him, and then he tries to call somebody back, but then he starts. He sees he's getting followed. Right. That's right. And and he goes for Ellie exactly as Cochran predicted. He mm-hmm. sends more goons. It's eight twenty six, with a little discretion. Dan and Ellie slip back into the shadows and Dan grabs the silver shamrock logo from a box for proof. And while they're distracted, he fucks with the control panel to start the trigger mechanism, dumps the rest of the box of logos over the lab techs, which interact with the trigger and start filing, start firing, destroying the robo goons. Now the scientist people are those robots. I think so. Okay. I think so. I think that he's got all robots there, and that's why the guy was like, oh, he brought everybody in Yeah, they come in from out of town. So yeah. the, the, he built robots that could do science. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> I mean, what else would they be good at, right? Yeah, that I makes guess. sense to me. Well, crushing fucking skulls. <laughs> that's true. That's true. You got your muscle ones, and you got your brain ones. <laughs> <laughs> and Mary the, twi- the two shall meet. That's right. There also is a really great shot of them there. Where it's like the crane yes. looking at the bodies yes. in between the circle of computers playing mm-hmm. the tune. And again, you know, I talked about how the bugs got updated into like spy bugs. First, now we have this like replicated Stonehenge. Cyber look. Stonehenge. Yeah. Cyberhenge. Oh, man. <laughs> Cyberhenge. <laughs> when Chalice throws the coin, the, the little logo things, and causes all the chaos, is he starting the countdown throughout the world as well? I think it's only playing in that... He lab. turns it on for them. 
Yeah. The way I he turned so. the way that uh, the bad guy turned it on for the kid earlier. Okay. Yeah, because I think that the uh, Hurley he or he had his deliverable sent out already to the ad agencies right. and uh, the studios. <laughs> you can't <laughs> stop it. Yeah, we've already gone to press. That's right. The piece of Stonehenge itself starts to glow. The light begins to spin around the computers, and Connell gives a little smile and round of applause. What a stinker this Dan is. Really great stuff. Very There's good. also a really great moment from the crane where he looks very small and defeated. There. Yes. A couple shots, but yeah. the one where when he starts glowing too, you know. Ooh, really fun. Yeah, because he, uh, he's in the middle. The beam emits from the stone and the computers. It meets in the middle, pierces Connell. He dies as he lived, trying to bring ancient and modern together and also exploding as a diamond. <laughs> <laughs> is a diamond a stone or what is it? Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, I thought he cold. turned a stone, maybe. Well, because coal, I mean, diamond is a, is a stone. Oh, you're I, right. I so maybe it so. was diamond. I don't know. Maybe sure. he's, he's part uh, the white queen, but uh, a little X-Men reference. Um, yeah. He's Emma Frost in the flesh there or you in go. the diamond. That's what I was trying to think of. I was going to say Emma Stone, but that's an actress. <laughs> it's because we were thinking that and you said Stone. I'm like, is it Emma Stone? It's, it's not Emma Stone. Easy uh, mix up. Easy mix up. Emma Stone, as far as we know, is not a mutant <laughs> who can cover her skin in diamond protective uh, I'm, look, I'm not willing to say she's not for sure, though. I mean, yeah, I mean, no, no. No one knows for sure. Right. <laughs> the factory starts to ignite as Dan and Ellie speed away in his car. There's a great matte painting that I like a lot. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing on the radio yet. We ought to do something. Call somebody, he says to Ellie. But she attacks, revealing herself to be a robot. You have sort of hinted at this already. I'm curious, do you think she was always a robot sent to bring in this loose end, or did she get replaced? Because he, ne- the guy at the beginning never says, like, get my daughter and tell her. I'm right. Her. So, you know, and I wrote that down. Like, was she ever real? And, you know, you could, I mean, you could absolutely read it both ways. And I yeah. don't think, and, and one thing, like I said earlier, I love when a movie doesn't spoon feed to you. And this is like, it's not telling you either way because. It's letting the audience chew over it, you know? I mean, for, you know, it's smart filmmaking because it's like, we don't need this to be explained in order to tell our story. Right. All we need is there to be an Austin Powers-esque switch where now the hot babe is a robot. <laughs> right. Exactly. And and I, I was chewing on it for a while. I kind of went back and forth a little bit. And I was like, the thing that is tipping me in one direction is that even though they never say that they can't talk, none of the robots talk that we see. And in this moment, she does not talk to him anymore, but she was talking in the past. When he gets her out of the room, does she talk anytime after that? I don't think so. No, she doesn't. I don't think so. So Hmm. I'm wondering if now this is the moment they didn't put a voice in her or whatever. And and now she's a robot sent to a, Finish it off, but it, truly, it could go either way. She could have been yeah. there to lure lure these people in. Right now, if she had been a robot the whole time, I wrote this note. If she's been a robot the whole time, how did Cochran design a robo vagina good enough <laughs> to fool Tom fucking Atkins, who, whether actor or his character, they both have had enough sex that they know what it should feel like. Yeah. So how did Cochran, uh, presumably not having one him or themselves how did he not how did how was how was he able to replicate it that well enough to fool a a a veteran coxman like tom atkins you know i'm thinking i'm thinking that he uh look we didn't see under the dress of that german crazy automaton 
That was the test run. First, he's like, I want to make a robot lady that can uh, fuck uh, fuck a, an alcoholic doctor who knows his way around a woman and well enough to fool him. And I'm going to start by making a, a, a gross old woman vagina. You know she's a freak for real, for real. <laughs> she's oh, knitting him a condom. It is... <laughs> It's really funny because it's so easy because he has such a singular per- personality. It's so easy mm-hmm. to imagine Dan O'Hurley he's saying all that. You know, it's like, <laughs> I just wanted to have a sexy lady robot. <laughs> it gets lonely around here. I'm surrounded by all these muscle robots. Oh, God. Yeah, he's like, we need some, some soft, gentle, sexy lady robots. Oh, man. But, yeah, it, and it's a great, you know, because, like, I, I often pay too much attention to how... Uh, to the runtime of a movie. I have ADHD. It can take me a long time to watch even a 70-minute movie just to get, you know, a pause. To do, oh, suddenly I got to do this. I'll pause it, you know? So I'm always paying attention to that. So, you know, once they kill Cochran's character, I'm like, well, there's still like 10 minutes left. What else happens? Yeah. Well, and then it's like let's this. talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Dan drives off the road and crashes. Right. Apparently, uh, the car came off the track and skidded towards them, and it's only because of the telephone pole that we see it bump the car yeah. that Dean Cundy and Tommy Lee Wallace are alive today. Yes, and Dick Warlock was telling that story, right? Yeah, yeah it's crazy. crazy. Dan manages to defend himself with a crowbar, which also does kind of recreate the climaxes of the original, where Michael keeps surviving death blows. Oh, yeah. Um, he's alive, but he has no car, no way to warn people, so he starts running down the road, and he finds himself at the same gas station Ellie's father did, begging to use the phone. It's a matter of life and death. And uh, the attendant very kindly points him to the phone, but it's 8.59. Dan is pleading with a station to not play the giveaway. I love the nice touch of having a bunch of kids in the yes. masks show up to go Brilliant. trick-or-treating. Because it's so, like, as an audience, you're watching it, you're like, oh, fuck. Like, they're right here, you know? Yeah, it's it's... The the um, encroaching storm is is on their doorstep for sure. Yeah. Two of the three stations do switch to technical difficulties, but only two of them. Right. He begs them, stop it. You've got to stop it. And the camera cuts between him and the flashing pumpkin faster and faster, screaming, stop it, and then cut to black. Boom. So good. It's a great ambiguity. You get mm-hmm. this great score to sit with as we lead out. It doesn't feel particularly triumphant. It is gripping. And even if only one third was hit, it's quite the posthumous win for Connell, that prankster. Yeah. Well, and the, which is why I think he gave them a little golf clap when he, they screwed up his lab. He's like, good job. He's like, well, you're all screwed anyways. Like, exactly. We don't get enough blood for Sawain. Yeah. You know? The studio was scared, and they had made Body Snatchers put a bookend on a very similar ending to comfort audiences. And right. Tommy said that he wanted to write that wrong. And Universal did push back, but ultimately, when John had signed up to produce, he also had gotten creative control. Nice. And so he said, if you feel that this is the right thing to do, Tommy, then this is what we're going to do. Um, And, you know, the begging to stop it at the end of the movie does also tie into this theoretical commentary on ending the franchise. Yeah, please just stop it. Uh, Right. And it was, in fact, successful for a time because Universal did back off (laughs) after this movie flopped. Right. Until eventually Mustafa Akkad revived the franchise via his own production company, threatening to sue Carpenter, who said, I'm holding them up making money on a property. 
And since then, every Halloween has featured Michael, and in fact, Akkad referred to himself as the protector of the franchise, <laughs> saying in Halloween Unmasked that, quote, in every script, they want to kill him. They want to destroy him. I tell them, wait a minute, Michael Myers, I love this guy. And you're like, <laughs> well, does he love Michael or does he love money? <laughs> yeah. And you know what's funny, too, is you have uh, on that documentary one of the other producers, I forget the guy's name, who's like, this is stu- they didn't want Michael Myers and it was stupid. <laughs> Right, that guy. I forget which guy it is. Right. And then you got a cod who was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's all about Michael Myers. Okay. Well, so then when they finally make Michael Myers movies again, what do they do? They do a trilogy where he's brought back to life via witchcraft. That's right. So don't act like you didn't like Halloween 3, you little pricks. (laughs) You know? And now, Timmy, we have reached the part of the episode where we sum up why this isn't just a good horror movie but is, in fact, the best horror movie ever made. (laughs) And I'm going to let you start. This is the best horror movie ever made because it uh, takes so many different kinds of horror and other kinds of genres. There's science fiction in this and stuff, and mash it together, and it is... This movie is so unique. Like, the, the, the kinds of things that are happening in the movie are so unique. Where did I... Write down things. I, I wrote down a bunch of notes here. Um, but I wrote down. It's just, in fact, and probably part of his failing is the movie too unique. I wrote. Yeah, probably. Mm. Like I said, it kind of feels like a John Carpenter movie, even though it technically is not. But it's like the way they mix science fiction and then the pagan horror kind of cult druid sort of thing, Celtic stuff is so cool and you know i think for me personally it's a fun horror movie you know it's fun there's kind of some silly parts and it's uh kind of action-packed and has a great it's very good pop entertainment but me specifically i get very scared by bugs and the kind of folk horror sort of thing that is in that is in this but also infused with so many other elements so i think i i think it's the the best because you there's no other movie like it. And mm-hmm. I think our discussion of all the different details here and all the things you've educated me on only uh, uh, further that point because, like, the the fact about it being a Halloween movie but not being a Halloween movie and being a horror movie and a sci-fi movie and all this stuff, and, like, it, it's just so interesting. And then, so there's that. There's also, uh, like I said earlier, uh, I love it when they bring in some just old battle axe actors and let them do something fucking weird. Mm-hmm. And they help make it good. And the ambiguity throughout the movie. I really like that because I I think now, in a, and I believe the prequels, uh, the Star Wars prequels kind of started this, but the uh, audience wants to know everything. And it's like, no, you've got a thing in your head <laughs> that can help you fill in the holes. Yeah. And good filmmakers know that. Right. And that's why we don't need to know if Ellie was a robot before or after because now we, you and I just had fun uh, pontificating on that. You know what I Hell mean? Hell yeah. So if, if they had said exactly, she was a, she became a robot at this exact point in the runtime, <laughs> viewers, like we wouldn't be talking about it. We wouldn't have a good time talking about it anymore, you know? Mm. And so mm, there's that. Yeah, here Solo, so your name will be Robot Solo. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. Because, you know, at some point, like, if George Lucas watched Hollywood 3, it's like, okay, but uh, what are the bugs' names? <laughs> you know what I mean? Where'd that snake come from? It's like... Uh, at the What's end his of, motivations to kill that dad? Right. It's like, oh, my God. It's like, uh, how many bit of chlorians does that snake have in its bloodstream? <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, and we don't need to get into this, but uh, I am a pro Last Jedi guy, and one thing that I liked about that movie is how it was kind of trying to tell people, like, 
in fact, there could be similarities between Halloween 3 and Last Shadow, where the, the Last Shadow is kind of trying to tell people, like, hey, maybe we can kind of drop the shackles of the past and make new ideas. Mm-hmm. And it ends with that little kid with a broom. And I saw on the internet somewhere someone be like, so I want to know, what's this kid with the broom's deal? It's like, oh, my uh, God, we don't need on, to man. know. The whole fucking point of that is, like, there's just people out there. That it's have wide the open too. now. It's a huge fucking galaxy. And then, of course, J.J. Abrams, who uh, is no fun, <laughs> like the guy has so many he likes to produce so many fun things but it seems like he is not fun yeah so he he's like get it he's like no 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 we got to go back to the whole galaxy being two last names <laughs> it's like what i'm surprised he didn't like try and like retroactively make mace windu's last name calrissian you know? <laughs> yeah mace survives at the end of order 66 he's like i'm gonna go into hiding yeah yeah i'm gonna change my last name to calrissian they're like Oh, going okay. back to my father's name. <laughs> <laughs> what was your father's name? Landolphus. I think I might name my son after him, but modernize it a little bit. <laughs> Works every time. They're like, why'd you right. say that at the end? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so I love, I love it. I love the open-endedness. And now that does fit into, you know, Carpenter at the time made those movies he calls his apocalypse trilogy right in the middle of doing this. And mm-hmm. so it fits right in there. I mean, you could almost like say that Halloween 3 is John Carpenter and Tommy Lee Wallace did They Live and I Believe You. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's got a lot of his, finger, his, his touch on it and stuff. And it makes sense given the whole familial aspect of all those movies uh, being made with the same crews. To, to the movie's benefit. I yes. Think, for sure. Yeah. It, it just, it's just it's great. It grips you right away because you don't, and like I said earlier, even having seen it a few times, it's like, you still are like, geez, like there's so there's such hard left turns and not even left turns. It's not like like in Barbarian, there's a really big twist in right. Malignant. There's a really big twist. Ah, I did it again. I know that he hates it when people talk about Barbarian and Malignant in the same sentence. But anyways, <laughs> there's but there's a famous left turns, a recent left turn. Sure. Yeah. But anyways, so Halloween three never does that because, you know, there is something weird happening and that just very slowly reveals it. But the thing is, is it's so weird. Like the, the things that are the, the, the plot of like the bad guys ideas in this movie are so fucking weird. Yeah. And that's what makes them so great. Yeah. We're going to steal Stonehenge and uh, chisel shaving. Like, <laughs> but they stole stone. Like they could have gone to Stonehenge in the dark of night, gotten a bunch of shavings, went home. No, we're going to steal a fucking hench for ourselves. And uh, that's the trophy afterwards. Yeah, man. And so, so like we keep doing it. Like, what if we find other planets with kids? We got to kill them too. We're gonna need more hedge. So just steal your own hedge. You know. And he, he's like, I can't believe this happened to all the kids wearing our masks. I don't know what happened. That's crazy, right? Uh, anyways, about these Martian kids we just found. Uh, but so, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just so bizarre, but it, it it works. And I think the way the movie slowly unfolds it. You're just ready. Like I said earlier, like once you re- once he's like, yeah, we stole this thing from Stonehenge. I'm not going to get into it. It's fucking nuts. <laughs> the audience, you can just be like, uh, yeah, I believe you that it was nuts because everything that happens in your life is fucking nuts. So, yes, you know. And, you know, even just today, I connected with the movie even more just with the Tom Atkins divorced dad thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I, I have, I'm not an alcoholic, thank God. I know so many. And, uh, I'm the last whitest kid that can drink. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I know tons of people that have had to quit. So I'm glad I'm not that. I have also haven't been in the same boat Tom Atkins' character is as a divorced dad trying to struggle to see his kids. But I just understand the frustrations of being in that 
uh, dynamic. And for some reason this time, watching him struggle on the phone, I'm just like, man, that is just that is just how it is. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not even going to look it up. I'm sure Tom Atkins has several divorces and multiple stepkids and kids that he's tried to struggle to see sometimes, you know? That's right. Hey, let's just say that him and the uh, old Garn in here are not together anymore. Yeah, right? <laughs> I just... He's a guy that he uh, welcomes the turns of the trail in life. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. absolutely right. <laughs> Tom, if you see a fork, take it. <laughs> but anyways, for that and many reasons. And you know what? And this is why I bought it. You know, you're a movie collector, too. I bought it without seeing it because the Shout Factory cover is so fucking cool. Hell yeah. And, Hell yeah. you know, never. That's, uh, a, that's enough. Never looked back. Yeah. To me, this is the best horror movie ever made because, and I'm about to say something controversial, so get ready to hit that back 15 seconds so you can hear it again, gang. What? I think that this movie captures the spirit of Halloween better than the original movie. Um, yeah. It incorporates the iconography in a more interesting and deliberate way. Mm-hmm. As Tommy pointed out, the Halloween original movie was originally called The Babysitter Murders. Right. N- had nothing to do with Halloween. Mm-hmm. It was more about Jamie and company. This is about pagan rituals and yeah. Halloween itself as a holiday. Yeah. And and it's so cozy. Like, I, I mean, it is, it is just yes. a delight to pop on and... One other thing that Tommy said that I actually don't agree with is that he said that now looking back at it to watch it for the commentary, that he would make a bunch of trims. And I like the languid pace. I think that letting it sort of unfold naturally a little bit slowly is what makes it work so well. The fact that you are just along with Tom, figuring it out with him. Yeah. You don't feel as hurried, but there is that ticking clock. Yeah. It just all comes together in such a perfect way that I think that the movie itself, in like its form, is perfect for what it is. It's yeah. not too long. It's not too short. And uh, and I mean the performances are just out of this world. We've yeah, they're been talking all fantastic. about it this yeah. whole time. It's fucking incredible. Yeah. Everybody is great. And it's only ninety five minutes, so I wouldn't even. Yeah, I don't even know where you would trim it. You know, one thing I say uh, when I review uh, movies on Letterboxd, and I, I'm always very nice with the stars. I rarely go less than three, because uh, I because I tend to be able to find something I like in every movie. But Halloween 3 is one of those movies uh, that I I, I say this phrase all the time when I review movies on Letterboxd, which is I always love it when a movie, you can see what a movie's trying to do and that they fucking did it. Mm -hmm. Like they wanted to make this movie and that's exactly the movie that that came out, which having been uh, involved in TV and I've done a a couple indie film things too, that's not always going to happen. A lot yeah. of times you go in and you have no fucking idea what's going to come out the other side, you know? Yeah, right. Or it's going to, you know, I think normally what happens is it's basically what you thought, but there's things that you didn't think. Like, why does kids, you know, we did five seasons of the show, hundreds of sketches. There's sketches that were like, this is going to be great, that no one remembers anymore. There's sketches we hated that people loved, love now, yeah. and still talk about 10 years later, you know? So it's, you, you never really know. So, so this is one of those things where it's like, they knew what they were doing. They knew what they wanted to do and they did it. And yeah. it's right there. It's like, I, I, I think it's a, it's great. And it's probably one I was talking about showing my daughter R-rated horror movies. I think she's she would love this one, you know. There you go. There you go. It's Because it's just a good introduction, like you said. Uh, so it, it really does the Halloween themes better. And I do like in the original Halloween, uh, the carving the pumpkin, and you know, because I did that as a kid and all that stuff. But yeah, this really, 
But you could still have the main story without Halloween. You can't have this story without Halloween. That's right. That's right. Halloween is circumstantial in the first one. Very good. Yeah. And uh, and and that's why this is the best horror movie ever made. It is. We did it. Suck it. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a great way to. Uh, d- okay. Anyways. <laughs> Timmy, I want to thank you so much. Thank you, man. This has been very fun. <laughs> yes, please. It's plug time. Tell people where they can find you, what they should be looking out for, how they can help crowdfund Mars. Yes. All right. So, as George just said, Whitest Kids, uh, we, we've got an animated film, and uh, it's pretty much done, but we still need money to kind of finish the score, uh, submit it to festivals and stuff. So there's an animated film we started making in 2020. Well, we, we wrote it, started writing it a long time ago. And Trevor, Zach, and Sam finished writing it about six years ago. But we started actually getting it made in 2020. We're crowdfunded through our Twitch streams. We don't stream regularly anymore after Trevor died, but uh, we do still stream. And so you can find that at OfficialWKUK. If you want to watch other stuff that we've made recently, like in the last couple years, before and after Trevor passed, you go to... uh, on YouTube, official WKUK, where we have a number of remastered sketches and commentaries and some other goodies, like the recordings of us playing a D&D game for like six months. Did you watch those? I did. I watched those. I also really enjoyed Trevor's Pandemic show, which was a lot of fun. Yes, so very cool. a lot of really great stuff on the YouTube page. Yeah. And then the other YouTube page, WKUK VODs, which so WKUK VODs. And that is just what it says. It's uh, recordings of... Almost every Twitch broadcast we've done. I actually did not know about that one, so that's yeah, good dude. To know. Uh, hundreds of hours wow. of me being salty to people because <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, I have this whole thing about how we've been too nice to anonymous trolls on the internet for too long. I mean, mm. we let one become the fucking president, and then mm-hmm. we let another one buy Twitter, and these are internet trolls. That's yeah. who these people are. Yeah, and. It's like the the whole, for some reason, the rule of thumb has been they're going to say whatever they want and we're just going to kind of uh, let it slide. Yeah. And fuck that. So I have, uh, in my internet uh, involvement, if somebody says something shitty, I yell at them because it's like, don't say shitty things. I agree. I'm in full, <laughs> I fully endorse this, uh, this theory. And, Retaliate, uh, these motherfuckers. I mean, they don't. You know, it's exactly what they're doing. Well, yeah. And what's in their head? I'm going to say this thing that's going to piss this person off. Right. And so then if said person says, I'm pissed off, fuck you. Then they say, I'm a victim. No, no. (laughs) Fuck off. That was their intent the whole time. Yeah, man. So anyways, uh, you can find me on there if you want to watch me yell at people. But no, uh, Funding Mars. Also, uh, I'm on Twitter for now at Timmy is a nerd. Instagram at Timmy Williams is pretty. And uh, we do some Facebook uh, stuff, too. But uh, generally, look us up on YouTube or our Twitch channel. That's where you're going to get the most whitest kids enjoyment on the interweb. Oh, and WKUKplus.com is a website fans put together. If you're looking for certain mentions of certain things in any of our old Twitch episodes, you just type in any line, any word wow. in WKUK+, and it shows you what episodes it's been in and when we've talked about it. It's an incredible search engine. I don't know the who future did is it. now. Holy crap. Dude, very cool. Yeah, it's really cool. You should check it out. It's great. I will. I will do that. Uh, but thank you so much for having me. And so we'll do Deadbeat by Dawn sometime. Uh, so here's the thing. So can you have a guest back on and say, they were just kidding before. This is the best horror movie ever made. Yeah, so, so what has happened is typically people who come uh-huh. back do a bonus episode and we uh, break free of the confines of okay. best horror movie ever made. Uh, okay. Usually we just talk about something that is worth in, uh, interesting, worth discussing. But 
there have on occasions been people who uh, have come back enough times that we had to just get an episode back out with another pick for best horror movie. And uh, they have said, I've changed my mind. (laughs) This is uh, this is now the best. So. Right. That's, you know, it's always fun. And uh, and certainly I'm sure we can make that happen. Uh, um, although, but but for this week, for this week. Yes. Halloween right now is the best. And, and there is I, no doubt about it. I'm jazzed on it. It's good. It's a good movie. It's a great movie. Absolutely. As far as my plugs, people can. Uh, I was about to plug my Twitter, but I'm really not on there anymore either. So yeah. I'm sort of adrift on social media right now. <laughs> Uh, if you yeah, find where me, where are we gonna land? Huh? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't have much going on right now. I've been trying to get back into Instagram a little bit, but I'm having to put out like the photos and crap. I'm like, yeah, <sighs> I don't know if you've ever seen mine, but like when I announce like a stream, I'll tweet it and then just screenshot the tweet and put that on Instagram. <laughs> it's like I'm not taking a fucking picture for this. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> look. So if you find me, if you have a recommendation for where's good, then I guess let me know wherever you're able to find me. But also is a uh, Friendster still active? I think we're gonna we're gonna start that back up. How old are you when Friendster was uh like twelve? I got I got the last little tail end of it. And then, <laughs> Did you really? Uh, yeah, and then <laughs> it's mostly just the thing I know about. Then <laughs> right, like how I knew about eight tracks. So yeah, there you go. That's exactly that is I think a perfect one to one pretty much. But hey, uh, as far as my real plugs, besides just social media that doesn't exist anymore, Mm -hmm. you can check out all kinds of great other episodes of The Best Little Horror House in Philly. We have talked about Barbarian with Matt Apodaca, uh, who people might know from Earwolf shows. I listened to some of that one. I mean, it's a great movie. I love it genuinely. It was great to talk about it in that in-depth fashion. We've also talked with a ton of other great creators like Branson Reese, who you might know from Swan Boy. Yep. We have talked with Mike Mitchell from the Doughboys, all kinds of great comedians, directors, uh, anything and everything, uh, all of them getting the same love as as Halloween 3 got here. And uh, if you're in Philadelphia, this is the last episode that will come out before our live show. And so Ooh. if you want to check out the uh, five four. We are stealing Star Wars Day, unfortunately, from people. Uh, so <laughs> uh, may the 4th be you coming to see me talk about Tetsuo the Iron Man at Philomoka. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. That'll be fun. Yeah, it will be fun. Uh, 6.30 movie and then 8. Uh, we're going to talk about the actual, like, we're going to record the live podcast there at Philomoka. It's my favorite venue in Philadelphia. So very excited about that. And uh, if you're really enjoying the show, there is a Patreon with all kinds of bonus episodes that, like I said, don't necessarily fit into the square peg of best horror movie ever made. It, you, if you want to hear us talk about Human Centipede 2, that's over there. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, yeah. so all kinds of great stuff. And that is pretty much it. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.